On today's show, we are getting to know Jason. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. And Jason is the what do we call you? Hunkiest 40-year-old <laughs> that's ever been on the pod. Dude, thank you so much for coming on and letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, no, no problem, man. I don't know if you can call me that, but I appreciate the invite. <laughs> that's for damn sure. <laughs> so I mean, dude, we were kind of just whatever, shooting the shit beforehand. And um one of my personal flaws is facial hair envy. And I try to do a beard. I really like trimmed it up tighter the last couple of days. I was trying to like self whatever, tighten it up and I fucked up. So I had to like take it more skin level. But dude, yeah. your beard game is a fucking 10 out of 10, man. <laughs> like that shit is on for, for the dude going salt and pepper. It's fucking oh, on yeah. point, man. No, I have the, I have the, it, my goatee has kind of the skunk stripes and then like everything else, like fortunately for me, everything else is kind of maintained. I got like a little bit of gray here and there, but the real gray is right in my goatee area. But yeah, I, I trim it up and, 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 you know, I go every now and then to get it trimmed up by a barber and stuff. But, but I've learned over time. It's funny. I, with the day I got out of the military, I swore to myself, I'd never shave my face again. And just, I, I don't think I have maybe once or twice. Yeah. Dude, it is something about that, right? And, and yeah. so again, just whatever for listeners, you're a real army guy. I'm a national guards guy that 
served, I think I got nine years in doing the weekend warrior thing. But when I left the fucking, just, just the pain in the ass of shaving every single day. I don't know if that's part, like if, if you just get that out, if you only get so many shaves in a lifetime and you use them all up, if you serve for some sort of point in your life and you're like, dude, I'm done. I'm just going with stubble. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think for me, it was one of those things where I've always kind of shaved, uh, you know, shaved my head. And so that's never been a thing that was always like, okay, that's whatever. I've been shaving my head since high school, but then, uh, the shaving my face thing, man, I was just always getting like, uh, like it was just a dread every day. And then the day I left the military, I was like, never again. It's liberating. It's liberating. Um, so since you had earlier said nothing off off like whatever, off brand, off out of bounds. Um, yeah. Can you grow your hair past your collar, or would you be the dude that has like the weird bowl cut, as in like the reverse bowl with the center just empty, <laughs> the dome cut? Yeah. So I actually attempted to grow my hair out uh, like last summer, I think it was, and I got it down to like I could do like one of those little tiny man buns, and then that's <laughs> when my that's when my mom was like, "Stop, stop it right now. You look ridiculous." And I was like, yeah, I'm just true. So I just one day picked back up the clippers and started shaving it again. So I, I know I can grow my hair. And, uh, but it just my, you know, I, I think just everybody's used to me being, you know, shaved, bald. Tight like that. Yeah, yeah. That's such a Seinfeld episode where like, <laughs> that's the empowerment of the dudes who are bald, but have the confidence of hair versus the yeah. guys who had to choose to be bald. Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, I'm fortunately I'm the I'm the latter. I could I could choose to grow hair. It's just, and honestly, it got to a point where like, I have a daughter. She's seven, and she's just now getting to that age where like, she wants to do different things for the hair besides like a side ponytail yeah. <laughs> that I can do. And so now it's like collecting things in my bathroom, and it's like, man, I that I, I only have I already have one head to worry about and hair to worry about. I'm just not gonna worry about mine and shave it. <laughs> That's a good call, dude. Man, I. Fuck, man. This is what gets me. So I tend to just go random with my thoughts. And I want to talk about your military. I don't want to put dad on the back burner, but I am going to. Can we backtrack just because I started with military? And do you mind giving a... I'm sure you've given it a bunch of times, but what drew you to the military and what made you want to enlist and serve? Yeah. So it's a funny story with that. So I, you know, my parents had me when they were teenagers. I mean, very young, my dad was 19, my mom was 17. And, uh, then they had two more kids after me. And so college was one of those things where it was like, Hey, you're going to have to make it work on your own. And, uh, fortunately for me, I, I, you know, I played football in high school, played in a great area that had a lot of exposure. I mean, I played against, you know, Michael Vick in high school and Allen Iverson went to my high school no and shit. things like that. Yeah. So it was, it was wild. It was a nice area to grow up in and play sports. Cause if you were any, if you're decent at all, colleges were going to notice you. And so I got noticed by a small school out in Kentucky and uh, was able to get a football scholarship Uh, But they were only going to pay for like half. Um, And then, you know, I was going to live in Kentucky, so I would have to pay for room, board, and tuition and all that kind of fun stuff. My parents didn't have the money. So went to my guidance counselor and said, what can I do? And he said, hey, we got this thing called the ROTC scholarship. And uh, mind you, this was 1999, 2000, when nothing was going on in the world, really, of substance. I was like, hey, look, you'll join the Army. You'll do four years active, four years in the independent ready reserve. It'll be 
cakewalk. You'll get your college paid for. Everything will be great. Well, can I ask that. before you get yeah, there, like, what was your signing bonus or did you get a signing bonus for that? No, I didn't, no, I didn't get a signing bonus for that. You just get the, uh, you get the luxury of going to college for free. Um, okay. you do get, you do get over the course of your, uh, college each, each year, like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, you get an increasing stipend. I can't remember what it started at, but I think it ended my senior year. Like you get like $400 a month. And it was like tax free. So just because yeah. I joined national guard, I got, and I didn't have to do four years active, four years ready. It was all inactive, yeah. but it was like four grand signing bonus and then 420 a month for 36 months while you were in college. And I was like, yeah. yo, that's fuck it. Like that's everything. College is paid yeah. for plus I get a check monthly. Oh man, yeah. And and the smart thing probably would have been to save that money, but no, I'm in college. I'm playing I'm playing football. Like we're gonna party. So my 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 college, my undergraduate years, my you know, were probably not the most responsible in the world. Um, you know, I, but it but it was a good time and a lot of good stuff happened from it. But my sophomore year is when nine eleven happened and uh, it was kind of one of those like things where you initially thought maybe this was going to be like a desert storm, you know, 91, 92 thing where, you know, a couple months and we're back out of there. And then as time kind of drug along, you started to realize your, your life was going to be a little bit different after college than you thought. And so when I got my commission, it was in May of 04, the same day I graduated college, got my degree. And then by October of 2004, I was already in Iraq for the first time. That quick. Yeah, it was quick. It was right after my officer basic course. I tell the story, I graduated uh, college in um, like May 8th of 04. The very next week I started officer basic course at Fort Eustis in Virginia. Uh, so I was literally college straight into officer basic course. Six months later, after officer basic course, I graduate. And then literally the month after I'm on a plane to Iraq. And are you a second lieutenant expected yeah. to lead people? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a second lieutenant at the time. I'm, you know, 21 22 years old however old i was fresh out of college um fortunately for me i had a little bit of experience with the kind of real army quote unquote when i was in college my summer of my sophomore year i got a chance to go to airborne school and uh go down to fort benning for those three weeks and so i got a chance to you know be in the same company and chalk lines as guys who were already in the marine corps you know already you know um you know, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, all those kind of guys. Yeah. So being around them kind of shook my world up a little bit. Like, oh, this is this is real. This is real military. This isn't the the band camp type military that ROTC <laughs> kind of makes it out to be. So, uh, so I like, got just take to... your time making those knots. You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. And then, um, and then, fortunately for me, my first unit, I had some senior enlisted guys who were, you know, they had been in the military for years. So, you know, you're talking about 16, 17, 18 years already. And the one piece of advice that I remember getting in airborne school from every, you know, enlisted non-commissioned officer that was with me at airborne school was just listen to your, listen to your non-commissioned officers, listen to your NCOs. They'll never lead you the wrong way. As long as you are trying to learn from them and listen to them and are out there trying to, you know, lead by example. And that was my big thing was just don't ever ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do yourself and just listen to your, listen to the guys who had been there before. Dude, I love that. And I don't want to get on a tangent as me as a teacher, but I think that's part of what's so fucked up about our school system and maybe politics. But I, I, again, I don't want to like divert. 
I feel like that message is lost. The boots on the ground leading and really being influential in decision-making. I don't understand why that like military principle doesn't just transfer to eh, like so many aspects of just life. Yeah. Um, yeah Cause it, it makes sense. Definitely missing. No, it makes yeah. sense. And dude, good for you to be that humble, that young and not be the dude that's like, whatever, full of, what do they say? Like piss and calm or whatever. And it's just like yeah, young, yeah. dumb, full of calm. And I'm like, I got this world. And it's like, you were humble enough to learn at an early age, man. Like, I don't know how normal that is. Yeah, I, I don't know. But like, and then you're thrown into the, let's just put it on. You're thrown into the shit pretty quick at 22 years old. And I remember we're flying into Iraq. Uh, you know, we, we go from Kuwait into Iraq and the first place we go to is a place called Balad where our, our head, you know, our battalion headquarters was to meet our battalion command, all that stuff before we move on. And my first place that I was actually stationed at in Iraq was Mosul at Camp Diamondback and Mosul airfield. And that was the first, that was at that time, the, tri- the tip of the triangle of death, um, <laughs> at the top of the North. Um, it was a little wild. Uh, but 25th Infantry Division was up there. It was crazy. I got there in October, and then December of that year, December of 04, a suicide bomber walked into the Merez dying facility and right there where I was at and blew himself up. And at that point, it was the deadliest day in Iraq. It killed, I think, 22 or some odd people. Um, and, and it was uh, and, and just seeing the aftermath, being there to see the aftermath and, and you know, things that still are kind of traumatizing to this day. You can still kind of hear the screams of, you know, a girl in the backseat of a, of a Humvee getting, tri- you know, triaged as she goes into the, the combat hospital there at the airfield to get flown off. I mean, things like that at that age are just and then you're getting mortared every day. The, your um, your comfortability and, and, and with your own death at that young of an age is, is, is a little bit different. And, and I think that's also a big cause of, you know, some of the veteran issues we're seeing, you know, today. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just flashing back to the quick story of thinking about you as a dude getting a check and partying in college. And two years later, you say the word mortars and like to, to compare whatever a Friday night kegger to mortars within two years that, and it goes back a little bit in your story, but was there some sort of, um, like mental preparation through ROTC to get you there? Or are you just kind of getting like this mental resiliency to deal with this on the fly while you're there? I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I had been through a, a, a couple different things, traumatizing kind of things in my life. Like at, when I was 13 years old, I was in a football accident that, you know, almost, you know, I almost bled, internally bled to death and lost my spleen and a massive spleen rupture and things like that. And then, 13. you know, just, yeah. So it was, a little, that, that was traumatizing at 13. Um, and, and so, you know, you had that happen to me. And then, you know, I, I think just being on, you know, playing team sports growing up and always kind of, uh, trying to be the, uh, you know, trying to be up front and be a leader and, and do those things for different football teams, the football teams I grew up playing with and stuff like that. And then in high school and then moving on to college, I think that prepared me for, uh, the being a team player, you know, leading aspect. And then, you know, having some of those kind of early childhood traumatizing things, maybe like lessened the, 
I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it did, but I'll tell you what, like there's nothing that prepares you for the first time you hear a mortar round go over your head or you hear uh, the whiz of a, you know, you know, a round go over your head or something like that. And, um, and, and, and then you see what the aftermath of, you know, explosions and vehicle board IEDs look like and all that kind of stuff. Nothing. I don't think there's anything that could possibly prepare you for that until you're in it. And then, um, and, and you see it in combat all the time. I mean, I, I did three tours of Iraq and, and, you know, I had different experiences each time and each time you're around people that maybe that was the first time they saw combat or that's the first time they saw something. And, you know, the, you know, it may have been the toughest guy on the, you know, in the gym, everywhere. He's the toughest guy on the planet. But as soon as that first round like flies by and that first explosion hits, he's hiding behind a tire, you know, you know, you know, do rocking like a baby. No so, you just, yeah, you just don't know what, how you're going to physically and mentally react to those things until it really happens to you. And, um, and fortunately for me, I, you know, I guess I wasn't that type that, that ran away. I kind of ran too. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit different, but yeah, to answer your question very succinctly, nothing I think could prepare me for that. Yeah. Not never worry about answering succinctly. Cause I love, <laughs> I, I love the stories. That's the whole point of the pod is to um, yeah. understand the thing I, I keep going back to, and it's interesting. This is part of what I love when people tell stories, what I latch on the value you found in team sports and the leadership opportunities of not only performing like individually. So there's a difference between swimming, golfing, mm -hmm. tennis, which are sports and you got to be an athlete, right? Cross country track, got to be an athlete. But there's something about where your success depends on other people performing like football, basketball, yes, yeah. like baseball is a very individual sport. I don't know if it would come from baseball. I feel like football would be the, maybe ice hockey would be similar. The creme de la creme of, I depend on you for my success. And it's really interesting that you kind of went back. Do you, at, at the time, so what, let's go there. Like first time you felt your life is in danger. Mm -hmm. Are you like, flashing back to some sort of football experience getting no. strength do you know what i'm saying like are you yeah no or is it just naturally coming to you i think it i think it just naturally over time comes to you like it's after a while doing it I, I think um you know the first it's funny the first real pucker factor moment for all of us happened we were on a it's called a sherpa it's a small tiny cargo plane it can only go but so high because it's the, you know, I, the, the way it's, you know, designed and everything. Um, so it's, we're flying in low coming into the, the airfield there in Mosul. I mean, it's our, this is where we're going to live for the next, at that point, the next year of our lives. And we're flying in low. And next thing you know, you just hear, and it comes, like, it's a guy who's on the ground, just firing his AK-47 in there at us on a plane and it's hitting the plane. And it's like, oh, shit this is where we're going to live. Like the, I'm just coming in. Like this is, this is where it's all going to end. So that was my first like pucker factor moment. Nothing really like, you don't really flash back. You're just kind of like looking ahead. Like how the hell do I survive a year of this? Um, and, and then, you know, fortunately, I, I hate to say it, you, you, you get uh, used to it, but you kind of get used to it. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you hear about that with, 
trauma. And you hear about that with lifestyles, inner city living, just city living in general. You know, I, I'm more country and I go to New yeah. York City and I'm overwhelmed. I'm overstimulated. People who live there, it's like, it's a Tuesday. What, what are you upset about? <laughs> right? It's nothing. And I, it's funny how you do really become how the body adapts to its environment and you find ways to survive. Yeah, it's it's the mindset more than anything. And I've I've noticed this just through life now and like some of the things I've done specifically lately with like endurance events with like 100 mile races and and doing like, you know, 36 hour type things and things like that where eventually over time your mind like just once you once you convince your mind that that this is it, this is this is the way we're going to do it, which is what we're going to do the ability for your mind to adapt and then just control your body is just, I mean, the body and the mind are just amazing you know, things to me. And I'm just intrigued by just other people and how they, you know, adapt and, and do things, uh, you know, amazing things in their lives too. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's wild how that all works out, but in combat, it's the same way. Your mind adapts to that. And then I think, again, part of the struggle with veterans coming back home, from Iraq and Afghanistan and, and coming into, you know, our normal society is adapting from that, from, you know, from your, your, your whole livelihood is survival to just coming home to plan for a future. Can, yeah. Yeah. And, and coming, you know, coming home to people complaining about not having enough caramel in their frap at no Starbucks. Doubt. Can you believe that guy cut me off? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, so, That's the worst part of your morning. Gotcha. Yeah little bit different so i mean that's uh, yeah that's that's definitely a whole the whole mindset thing is just super interesting yeah did you feel you had the mindset going there or you honed the mindset while you were there and any experiences that you like credit to getting this kind of mindset um no i mean like i think i hone, definitely you definitely hone the mindset while you're over there you definitely are able to um think react everything a little bit quicker to each each different incident and then that first deployment i think you know the initial couple months were pretty rough but after a while we got moved to uh, an airfield out in um in kyara west q west was what it was called and uh it was pretty quiet up there not a lot of action there for the remaining part of that deployment then i uh i came back a year later from that deployment spent eight months back at home, uh, training up to go on another deployment. And, uh, that deployment was, uh, to Kuwait, but we were going to be a gun truck company that escorted logistics convoys wherever they needed to go in Iraq. So we basically would drive up to the border of Iraq and Kuwait, wait for our logistics convoys. And then we would escort them to everywhere from Ramadi, Fallujah, Al-Assad, you know, Sadr City, Baghdad, Mosul, all the different places that you hear in the news, we escorted people there to make sure supplies and stuff got there safely. How do you train for that? <laughs> oh, let me tell you, it was that one was wild because I'm a tra I was a transportation logistics officer. And so the company I was going to to be a platoon, it, my first deployment was kind of as a team lead. My second deployment was as a platoon leader. So, you know, at this point, I'm you know in charge of about 30, 30, 30, 40 soldiers in a platoon. And um, all of them were truck drivers. <laughs> and you're, you, you get there and you're like, hey, all you truck drivers, we're now going to teach how to drive Humvees, 
how to, you know, do what they, the, a lot of them already knew how to do with like, you know, all the tracking systems and everything that come along in, in the vehicles. But we're also going to teach you how to shoot 50 cals and 249 saws and everything like that out of a turret and get you all qualified on that. So you go from everybody really having experience with maybe a nine mil and maybe an M4, M16 to like, we're, we're going heavy now. And so um, that was interesting, just training up for that and just training the tactics, techniques and procedures there. Cause it's a lot different being the, the escort and being in react mode uh, to, to when something happens and making sure the convoy is taken care of to just drive in a tractor trailer with, you know, chocolate milk in the back. Yeah. Was it, that like stark of a difference for these guys or for these people i shouldn't be yeah yeah no for a lot of them it was and you talk you talk about guys and so that's an interesting story that always comes up when i talk to is uh talking about women in combat let me tell you i saw some of the most badass women man a 50 cal on top Mm -hmm. of a turret in a gun truck so i mean it's definitely different than probably being you know an infantry you know on the ground kicking down doors kind of thing yeah but i've i've seen some women mount a 50 cal and fire it better than some guys so just gonna say that (laughs) yeah no doubt dude and i i need to i'm as a teacher you know i get um my biases my bias gets pointed out and you say dude you say guys you don't mean it but like that mama bear instinct when when you take out whatever the strength difference is with body mass and fucking bone density, all that bullshit, right? Yeah. Like you just go with like who's willing to fucking get after it. Yeah. What yeah. are you worried about? A mama bear. <laughs> like yeah. right. And like there there's that instinct and there absolutely is that bravery within them. I'm just shocked that like it's that that much of a gap that gets covered in that to me, eight months is like, whoa, and now I'm going to put you into combat. And I guess you got to get experience somewhere, but it just blows my mind that you're going from basically not, I shouldn't say basically zero to a hundred, but it seems like zero to a hundred. Yeah. And, and to be honest, this was with a unit that had, um, I think it was Oh four, uh, had lost a soldier in combat. This was on their, one of their first deployments um, before I got to the unit, they had lost a soldier that in, in, in Iraq and, um, in combat. And so you're coming to a unit that's already experienced some loss. A lot of those soldiers are still with that unit. So they're still, they still have that hanging over their head. And now you're telling them, Hey, we're going to be traveling all the roads that are, you know, here about in Iraq and, uh, and we're going to be escorting convoys and, and doing the, the hard, you know, the, you know, the hard work, uh, for this. And so, um, fortunately, I mean, we had some, we, we did experience losses, not in my unit, but in some convoys that my unit escorted from IED blasts and things like that. Uh, but we were very fortunate as, as, a, as a unit to be able to all come home from that deployment and uh, be fairly, be, be very, let's be honest, be very successful at the job we were doing, considering where we started, you know, eight months before the deployment to, you know, to going through that deployment. And successful with zero casualties or successful with getting shit where it needed to get got? Both, both, both. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the thing is we, we, we all, you know, I would never say like, I can't remember anybody ever having kind of a mission failure. I do remember one, one second Lieutenant, I think he was maybe the first Lieutenant and he eventually got fired. I'm not going to name names, but he got <laughs> lost in Kuwait on his first mission. Lost? Didn't never made it. 
never made it to the Iraq border. And let's just say he, he didn't do any missions after that. But otherwise, everything was good. So is it wrong? And we're talking 2004-ish, 2006? This was, this was, this was 2006, 2007. That All right. So I'm trying to think back to my phone capabilities. And I feel like 2006, I'm still map questing. And I'm still reading directions. I'm, I'm not like GPS dependent. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you're taking a left turn in 100 feet. Get in the right yeah. lane. So I can't imagine over there what were the navigation techniques. So I guess all that to be like, is it okay to be like you got lost or is it kind of inexcusable to be it's like kind of you an ex- got lost? Yeah, it's inexcusable. Uh, let's just, <laughs> no, I mean, you have, you have in your vehicle, like, like I, I'm basically like as the truck commander and the, as the convoy commander for, for, for or the gun truck commander, um, I'm basically in a cockpit. I have radio systems. I have a movement tracking system, blue force tracking system. I have all kinds of different things at my disposal to be able to look at a map and see where I'm going on the fly, be able to type messages, be on the radio, all those kind of different things. So you're in a cockpit. You got you. You're manning. You're communicating internally with the convoy. You're communicating externally with units that are, you know, landowners in the area. Because what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, it's not one just big unit in Iraq. It's a lot of different units that hold uh, ownerships of different areas in Iraq. And so when you're coming through their area with a convoy, you have to call them up and say, Hey, I'm coming through your area of operations with like 40 vehicles. And you know, this is where we're going. Um, so they, they know and yeah. you know, that that way, if something happens, they got, you know, they got to you know, get air support pretty quick or something like that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot going on, but, but you've, no got you've got resources. You've got resources. Like, yeah. you fucking pick up. Yeah. What do you, do you know why the person got lost? Or do you have a theory as to what happened to make them <laughs> lost? Uh, um, I mean, not to like talk too much shit because thank you yeah, for yeah. the service. You know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. bravery and I get that aspect. It's just kind of a funny story. Like how with those resources, is it pride that you don't make a call? Do you get distracted at some point? Yeah, I... I... Let's just put it, like, I'll just put it this way. I think this guy thought his shit didn't stink from the start. Oh, uh, yeah. He was like, I'm like kind of one of those military academy grads kind of oh, guys. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I don't know why it happened or how it happened, but it did. And it was uh, it was kind of funny for the rest of the deployment. But but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that was the only failed mission I can remember happening. But uh, but uh, but yeah, other than that, the, that was probably for me and probably for a lot of others, the most dangerous deployment I had. Um, I tended to go on the road a lot. Again, I, I think I told you earlier, I, I, I tend to be more of a, I'm not going to ask other people to do something I, I'm not going to do myself. And I tend to be more of kind of a lead from the front kind of person. Like I, That's I don't know, like, I, I, yeah, I just, I just, I don't want to, if I'd rather put myself at the risk than be thinking about later on in life why did why didn't i why wasn't i on that mission or why wasn't i in that position on the convoy those kind of things so at the time the the a lot of the convoy gun truck commanders would ride kind of in the middle of this you know 30 to 40 vehicle convoy so you so you could have control of the entire convoy well a lot of the ied blasts were happening at the front of the convoy because it was one of those things where you know first truck comes across yeah you didn't see it yeah, you're, you can't, you, you don't have 30 other trucks being like, Hey, there's an IED. Right. So, um, so they were blowing up the, the first truck in a lot of the, a lot of these missions. And so I tended to be the first 
gun truck that was right there at the front of the convoy. I was the second vehicle because they always let a bigger truck leave because of the IED uh, threat. Uh, but um, to absor- but yeah. Was it like a physics thing, like literally to absorb a blast yeah. or absorb gunfire? It must be like a shield for the rest of the yeah. convoy? That yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. Basically, basically, it was it was it was a bigger truck, and and they thought maybe this was the best idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know if it was or not. I don't. I never saw the statistics behind it. But um, but yeah. I, I, so I mean, I, I I again, I trusted the the NCOs that were truck command, other truck commanders, because you have other trucks, and I'm the only. I'm, I was the only officer on, on a lot of those missions, and so I. I trusted the guys and gals that were with me to, to lead those trucks and be able to respond if something happened in the middle of the convoy or in the back of the convoy. So, yeah. It's, it sounds empowering. Um, and just to, because I think it's, it can be easy for people. Cause I don't know the last time I heard of an IED in today's yeah. war and today's news, but flashing back to me as national guard in Southern Delaware on my weekend warrior training and yeah. You know what they beat into us? They were like, what's your route of travel? Do you notice any irregularities? Is someone on the side of the road? Is there a sign that wasn't there before? Is there a lump that wasn't there before? What is your pattern? Notice an irregularity. That can prepare you if you get deployed. And for some reason, man, that shit always stuck with me. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. That gra- why'd that grass get cut? You know, like little yeah. shit like that to this day, dude, I'm talking 20 and I never experienced any combat, anything like that. But that lesson and thinking about those IEDs and at the time I'm 23, 24, it, for some reason, dude, my eyes were always like pivoting when I drove yeah. because that, that was beaten into you. I can't imagine being in the field and having to figure out why is that kid standing there? Were, yeah. the, were those stones there before? Yeah, no, and, and you travel you travel a lot of the same routes, but you travel a lot of different routes too to different places, and and so that was always interesting. But but yeah, you're you're you're. Uh, let me tell you, I, you go for a three hour drive here in the states, and it it can be exhausting. Yeah, you go for a three hour <clears> drive in Iraq where you're constantly on high alert, and you're even Afghanistan, I'm sure, and where you're constantly on high alert, you're constantly looking for things you're 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 just on high alert that three hour drive feels like it's 10 hours yeah um and and so it's it's it it drains you a lot but but you're right i mean you're constantly you're getting intel uh before you go on these missions that hey you got to be looking on the lookout for this you know you know truck or this you know vehicle um, you got to be, you know, on the lookout for this type of IED. You got EFPs at that point, which were electronic or uh, explosively formed projectiles, which were basically super IEDs that you had to, to look out for. Um, I, I did come up, uh, we were on, I think it was route Irish going into Baghdad one time. And we, uh, we ran up on a dog that had wires coming out of its butt. No shit. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it ever turned out to be an ID, but a lot of times like the insurgents there would just set up things just to see how you'd react. Yeah. Red um, herrings type yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it's like, Hey, uh, let's just throw a box with wires coming out of it. It's not really an IED, but the convoy will stop and we'll see what their tactics, techniques and procedures are. So we can react later. Cause I, the, and let me tell you the insurgents and their, and at that time, the, the different people we had to, you know, deal with in Iraq, 
they were a lot smarter than I think the general public understood and gave credit for. I mean, these weren't, you know, just farmers out, like, you know, throwing out, you know, whatever ex- leftover explosives they could find. Right. These, these folks were like very intelligent on how they approach uh, attacking convoys and attacking bases and, and doing the things they needed to do to, to be effective. So, yeah, I mean, I, out of 27 missions, I think, uh, which could cover everywhere between four to 20 plus days, depending on where you were going and what the road status was and all that kind of stuff. Out of, out of those 27 missions, I came in contact with an IED six times and small arms fire probably a bunch of other times and then one time an ied actually exploded right next to my vehicle fortunately my gunner was in the like down in the turret i mean i joke all the time he was probably getting me like a monster out of the cooler that was in the back seat <laughs> next to him and the ied just happened to explode and it, it, it left a lot i mean shrapnel hit our vehicle shrapnel hit um the truck in front of us uh, there was a connex on the back of the uh truck in front of us so it blew out one of their tires hit the connex um very fortunate the truck the gunner was down that nothing happened to him uh we were just fortunate that they buried the ied too deep in the ground so they didn't get the explosion that they wanted and um and i remember just the pucker factor really hit then and uh, we rode for the next, I'd say, hour, me, my, my driver, and my gunner, just in complete silence. Like, just, wow, that, that was that near-death experience they talked about. So, oh, Jesus Christ, man. That's, um, there, there, there's so much there to ask about. Um, literally, silent, no no reflection on the experience why do you think that is uh i think we did we did get a chance later on but i think uh like a lot of veterans we dealt with it instead of like really talking about it we dealt with it with just humor Uh, um yeah yeah (laughs) like my driver my driver was an older gentleman he's you know guy's one of the best human beings i've ever met in my life uh from the midwest uh you know just the one of the like he was the guy that if you were having an off day, like, or something, and, and like, you're, you're just like, you know, just, you know, fuck this, the whole thing. He would crack like one of those like small one-liners that would just yeah. have everybody laughing. And I think that's probably what he did is probably just cracked a one-liner and we just, you know, went about our day and moved on next mission. And, um, and, and, and I like, it was, I don't want to say, I don't know. Like, I think that's where a lot of my, I guess me, like mentality, mental issues really started to seep up. I was going through uh, kind of a rough patch, like really just the end of my first marriage there in Iraq during that deployment. Um, it was it was really rough. I mean, crazy uh, what was going on back at home. And then I had you know had to go out on missions every night, and then it got to the point where. I, I don't know, like it got addictive, like the, the high, it was like this, it was like a high. It was like, let's, I want to go to the most dangerous places in Iraq. Like it, let's, let's go to places that, that nobody else wants to go to. And then it got even like the high got worse because I'd have the, the convoys that were um, the logistics convoys. Those convoy commanders would, if they were going to Fallujah, they'd be like, Hey, I, I don't want to go with anybody else, but, but Lieutenant Wood, like I, I can trust that he's going to get us there safely and back. 
um, and he knows his shit. And so I, I was the one going like, let's go all the dangerous places. And let's, let's, like, it was, it, it was very cowboyish in a lot of ways looking back now. Now, I mean, I was 23 years old at the time. It was, you know, it was a little crazy. Like now that I'm looking back at it with, yeah. you know, older eyes, but, uh, but yeah, I think I was going through a lot in my personal life and I think I was kind of, uh, careless with what my, my own life just, you know, because that reason I, I tend to be a little bit more, um, yeah. Cowboyish is probably the word that I should have been. Where, this might be a real stupid question, but like, were you guys able to drink? No, no, yeah, no, so, no, no. Like, and, and the reason I ask, cause I'm like, people look for that escape from real life, right? Like yeah. you drink, you smoke, LSD, whatever, like, Whatever your escape is, you tend to try to get numb. And I'm like, if you don't have that availability to you, but what do you have available is that adrenaline. I'm wondering if that's the the pathway, if that's the way the river wound for you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then, uh, you know, I, you know, my la- I'll, I'll just play this way. My last deployment, I came through that deployment. I, I ended up coming back again. Uh, it was that was oh. 607 came back for another year and then deployed again 0809 this time i was company commander i i had been asked to i uh moved from platoon leader to xo executive officer in that unit uh for a couple months and then it came time for the company commander to change command and they were like hey do you do you want to take company command and here I am, like 25 years old, like, yeah, sure, I'll take company command and take charge of like 200 people. Sounds cool. That, that'll be an awesome idea. And like company command, I had always heard was like the pinnacle. Like that, for a lot of folks, was like their favorite time in the military as an officer. Because after you get past captain and company command, you're, you know, you're stuck pretty much in staff jobs. And, yeah. you know, the, the best thing you have looking forward to is probably battalion command. Uh, but that's years, years, years off in the distance at that point for me. Um, I, so I was like, yeah, sure. Like I would love to take company command. It was with the unit I had just been with. Um, the people were great. I love, you know, I love leading them. Let's, let's go. So I deployed again. This time we went to Iraq specifically and we went to Camp Taji for six months. And then we went to Baghdad International Airport, Camp Liberty for the last six months. Um, at that point, units were moving all around because of the, war in Afghanistan. So we moved from Taji to Baghdad to replace a unit that had started in Iraq and went to Afghanistan. Uh, so we were, the military was moving all kinds of craziness uh, during that time. But we were basically at that point, one of the logistics convoys this time. And the missions were a little bit different. We were carrying different stuff. It was overnight type missions. None of those three, four, 24 day type missions. Um, so, uh, and again, that company command time was, it was one of the best times of my life. I, I got a chance to lead some of the best people, uh, you know, and be around some of the, the best non-commissioned officers and officers that, you know, I, 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 you know, I was very fortunate. And because of them, I got a chance to become like the transportation Corps officer of the year that year. No I got a, I got a job as an aide to a two-star general right after that command. So I was very fortunate to, to move up kind of, because, uh, you know, on the backs of some great and amazing people and soldiers. And uh, so I finished up that company command, went on to become an aide for a two-star for 
I think it was 18 months and, and, uh, learned a lot from him. Like the mentorship I got from him, uh, from that level was just uh, eye opening. I mean, he was like another dad and his wife was like another mom to me. I mean, it was, it was, you know, the relationship we had was great. I mean, the job was stressful. You're, you're, I always joke that, uh, um, uh, God, what's the movie? The devil wears Prada. If you've ever watched that movie, uh, I was basically Anne Hathaway's character while I was running around, getting coffee, making sure the schedule was right, making sure everything was taken care of, uh, that he, so he could just walk into a room and do his thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, um, that was my job for 18 months. And, uh, then I think I, at that point I was going to get, I was, there was a possibility of making major and go moving on to another unit and, you know, finding out that this unit was probably going to deploy to Afghanistan soon after I got there, I kind of was like, look, this is it. I can't do this anymore. I spent my whole 20s in Iraq and, and, and traveling the world with a two-star general. I kind of want to settle down for a minute. And um, so I got out. I decided to get out. So my last day in the military, my ETS date was September 11th, 2011. So the 10-year anniversary oh, of 9-11 was my, my ETS date. Yeah, so that's on my DD-214. So... Uh, so, yeah, so I got out, and then um, next month after that, September, October, I met who would eventually come become my wife and the mother of my child, and so immediately moved into a relationship, but I will say this. I was not ready for not only a relationship, but for just life in general, uh, post, <laughs> post-combat, post-military. How... Like, uh, dude, you flew through a fucking decade right there. Um, and I, I just, I, I want to go back, but I don't want to go too far back. But I, I do have like a shit ton of questions. My first response would be like, how possibly could you be ready to be basically a 30-year-old white picket fence fucking soccer practice dad after that, yeah. right? Like there, there'd be no way... But dude, before we get to that, do you mind if I go back a little bit? I'm yeah. really interested in leadership mindset and evenings. Cause I feel, and feel free to correct me. I feel like, I know me just as a teacher, as a basketball coach, not trying to like equalize our playing yeah, fields, yeah, yeah. but I ponder shit. I lay there, I go for fucking walks. I go for bike rides, I go for jogs. And where does my mind go is to the things I'm supposed to organize the next day. Yeah. So I'm real curious, you as an individual, what were your evening like? How did you organize? How did you quiet those voices? How did you like, what, what were your pep speeches, your pep talks type shit? Like, I don't know, man. I'm just very curious about how you planned and prepped for days knowing you're going to experience possibly that kind of trauma. Yeah, no, I mean, so I, there was little sleep, I think, for me during that deployment. Like four hours was a good night. And that's mainly because, um, like, so during the day was all the normal battalion level stuff. That was when I was expected to be in the office and everything. And then at night was when we did missions. Like, we, you didn't do missions uh, during the day in Baghdad in that area. It was all night type stuff. They, you know, under the cover of darkness is where 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 everybody wants to excel. There's so, my ignorance. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. so, so, so at night was was really, um, you know, I I do my day stuff, make sure staff meetings, make sure the you know at that point I hated it, but making sure the PowerPoint presentations were good and all that stuff. Right. And then you'd. Uh, 
and then I'd have the convoy commanders come in because um, they'd have to brief at the battalion level. We, you know, they'd have their battalion level briefs. But before that, I'd make sure they come in to me as a company commander and say, okay, what's your mission tonight? Where are you going? You know, just they'd have their brief to me to make sure, okay, we're on the same page. You're ready to go brief battalion on the, the mission tonight. And, um, and so I do the pre-briefs every evening, you know, afternoon timeframe, probably go get chow after that. And then you're, you're seeing off the convoys that night. And, um, and, and then you're just, you know, and kind of cross your fingers, hope to wait, nothing happens. Kind of like they're your children, like kind of like your, you know, teenage daughter going out on her first Jesus, date. Jesus, right? Waiting around, waiting around, waiting around till two o'clock in the morning Fuck. for them to come back. Shotgun so, in hand, just waiting yeah. for, waiting for her to come home in tears. Yeah, yeah. and then I mean, some oh nights God. I would get a chance to go out with the convoy and ride, do a ride along. You know, it was one of those things where I, I was no longer really in charge of the convoy, but I got a chance to just kind of sit in the back seat. You know, maybe see how things were running, see how particular. Uh, leaders were leading, you know, because you, you know, if you're, you're expected to write evaluation reports that are in review evaluation reports on a lot of these folks, you want to see them in action in some way. So, I mean, you don't want to just go based on, oh, Billy Bob said you did a pretty good job, but you know, you want to see it. So, I'd go out on a few missions here and there with them, you know, maybe once a week or so, and then, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a different time i mean it was different like just than than being kind of a manager here um you know what i do normally in the in the states now like i'm a defense contractor and so there are times at night where it's like okay i gotta have these things aligned for everybody tomorrow make sure they have the right resources and everything to succeed and you have that downtime deployed life it's i don't feel like there was really any downtime you know you had a chance to go to the gym you had a chance to go to the chow chow hall you maybe got a chance to watch a couple episodes of your, you know, your favorite, you know, Netflix series at the time that was probably on a CD that right. was burnt that got sent to you from the states. <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. That was the lifestyle over there. Dude, yeah, that. So then there's a couple of my misconceptions: the fact that you have that prolonged nine to five downtime where you're planning the next day, like it's just yeah. not a reality of the moment. Yeah, you're really relying, uh, and and this is where, you know, God bless them. You're really relying on the leadership that's under you to do their jobs and to do it right and to be successful. And if they're not, then that's reflection of you as a leader. I feel like if you're giving them the resources and making sure that they have what they need to succeed – and that you know, if they have any barriers or obstacles that 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 are in front of them that can be that I can take out of their way, I, I need to do that so I can make sure that they're successful. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't do their job for them. I was just very fortunate. I had a lot of people that were really badass and good at doing their job. Dude, the fact that I'm just gonna keep harping on it because I think it's something that can't be overstated. The appreciation for the people under you and the fact that you just speak so empoweringly of them like that that's one of the weird contradictions of like corporate life the fucking corner office type shit where yeah. it's like oh you're just so far removed and all everyone else is subservient and all but like i really feel the military can't operate that way because there is no top without a bottom and you well, need the yeah. bottom and 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 that's where the and that's where the term toxic leadership comes from yeah. that's where you get yeah, that's where you get the leaders that 
um, you know, are, are wield their power in ways that they shouldn't and, and, and think they are the one and only and almighty. And, um, you know, I think that sours a unit and your morale will go down. And then yeah. that unit, that entire unit will not be successful if they have somebody at the top that's not empowering them, giving them the resources they need and, and just making sure that they are taken care of. Um, God, I, I can remember because as, as a company commander, you're you're uh, you're responsible for uniform code of military justice action. So I'd have guys that would pop hot for whatever reason, you know, they, you <laughs> poppy know, seeds in their bagels. Yeah, piss hot for something. And God, it always started a strip club too. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but some... no, they they do stuff. And like I realized real quick that if I if I just go immediately to taking money and taking rank and things like that. I put them in a worse situation than they were already probably in. Mm. So a lot of times what I learned from that, one of the best uh, things I had learned was from one of my NCOs saying, Hey, you probably, it was probably, I think it was my first sergeant. It's like, Hey, have them bring in a breakdown of their finances so we can see it. So mm. that, you know, the impact you're making by leveraging whatever, you know, uh, punishment you're going to give them. And so, damn, you had that kind of range. Like, you had judicial authority yeah. to be like, "Hey, I I'm gonna take a hundred. I'm gonna take five hundred. Like, I could take, I could take rank in some cases. It was depending on the case. Uh, um, but I had company level. You, know, I mean, so I, I could take rank, maybe a rank or two. Uh, but, but the battalion level had a lot more power gotcha. than I did. But, uh, but the rank but is yeah, the I paycheck. Could, so basically yeah. you're going to lose whatever that rank's pay is that you were accustomed to. Yeah, yeah, you're going to drop down from a E4 to an E2 or whatever it was going to be. And so, yeah, that, that changes. That, that's a lifestyle. That's, make, that's a lifestyle. Yeah. And so, and then a lot of times you'd find, you know, oh, Billy's paying 26% APR financing on his car that he bought from some jacked up dealership down the road. And so let's let's take Billy to that dealership and say, hey, you need to fix this or we're going to blacklist you and you're never going to have another soldier come onto your facility ever again. Dude. And so, yeah, so we we do we find stuff like that all the time. But uh, but that was one of the big things that I learned was, you know, one of the best things you know, was, hey, look, if, if you can at least take care of them in a lot of cases, the best punishment is to say, hey, I'm taking rank and I'm taking money but I'm suspending it for six months. And that makes sure that they're, 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 they're good for six, because they, they know if they mess up again in that six month period, that ranking money is, or that's gone. But if they make so, it the six months, they're scot-free they're, basically. They're, they're good. They're good again. Gotcha. Uh, so, Probation. so yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and a lot of times, you know, People label, and I think this is a learning learning aspect that I had, too, from that whole experience is a lot of times people want to label people as bad people because they did drugs or they made a mistake or they did something. There was times where some some of these people that made those mistakes were some of the best people I'd ever been around. And in in, in a combat situation, they were the guy or gal you wanted to your left and right. They were the people that you wanted there. They just happened to make a mistake when they got back home. And, and things like that. So, I mean, that, those were some of the things that I learned is, Hey, don't, don't judge a book by its cover. Just, just because they made a mistake does not make that person that mistake for the rest of their lives. And again, if we go back to, I'm just going to call it like 2010s, right? Yeah. Like, cause that's the time frame. I, I don't know if now in the 2020s, we 
we seem so much more aware of letting loose and the stress that would come home and maybe the choices that would come from the freedoms. If you've been fucking in Iraq for eight months and you get six, eight months at home, you're going to probably do some outrageous shit. It's going to be like a fucking bachelor party. You're, uh, you're <laughs> going to have hangover nights type where you're just fucking going at it. And maybe you need someone with grace and not to keep you in that fucking like in that fence of you're still in Iraq. It's still this, um, you, you have to conform this way. And I think yeah. that's really smart to keep people bought in because they're going to go and talk, right? So every positive impact you make on that one person is going to buy you equity with whatever their circle is. And you never know who's going to be in your circle. And I yeah. think that's the smarter play. That's really fucking smart, especially back then when like the mental aspect, I don't think was as forth, it was as forefront. No, no, no. I mean, like it, I remember getting out of the military. The the last thing that they really talked about was was mental health. It, like the yeah. first thing they're talking about is how do you write a resume and and those kind of things. It was. It, I don't remember ever out processing and going through like a mental health counselor or anything like yeah. that. It was just. It was like, hey, go turn in your stuff at CIF, at Central Issue Facility. Make sure it's all clean, or they're gonna keep kicking it back. <laughs> make sure you go here, 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 and that's it. It was a checklist that you had to abide by, but there was no stop at a mental health counselor to say, "So how you doing?" Yeah. Uh, uh, so it, it, there, I don't remember anything like that. And then, you know, moving it, moving into the civilian world, you know, I thought it was going to be easy. And I just remember over time, things got just gradually worse and worse for me. Um, to the point where, you know, we had, we had had my daughter in 2014. So we had been together for a couple years, but at the time that I had gotten out and, uh, but by that point, our, our marriage was already kind of starting to dissolve. I, I was horrible at, you know, emotional support, being empathetic communicating. Uh, I, I, you know, I was still the littlest thing would set me off. Um, you know, uh, one of the stories like I remember talking about, you know, with, cause I have a very good relationship with my ex now. And one of the stories we talk about is she could have folded a shirt wrong or misplaced a shirt. And that would have set me off. Um, oh, you know, it's not like a that. dollar bills length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean like things like that would, would have just set me off. And, um, did you ever, was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but no. Did, did you go to like an actual counselor to kind of dive into that shit? Maybe not at the moment, but later yeah. on to be like, why did that trigger me so much? So, uh, so very bluntly, it took 2016, my daughter was two, she had just turned two. Um, and then me and my ex had kind of our final blowout. And, um, that's the worst did we, yeah, we split. Um, and it was like November of that year. And then I, I remember we had a blowout. I went that night to like a day's end to just get away. And, uh, that was the night that I had seriously like considered taking my own life and, um, you know, had, had the plan, had, had everything I needed to do it. And, uh, fortunately did not do it. And then the next morning, I remember waking up, you know, like just, you know, I, I don't know, just a, an emotional wreck. I drove to my mom and dad's house, which was 15 minutes down the road. 
I knocked on the door. And then when my mom answered it, I just basically, that was rock bottom. I had, I was, you know, done. And, uh, she helped me pick up the phone. She helped me call the VA. I called, you know, low, you know, my family provider that I normally went to. So then uh, I had gone, that, that was the first time I had sought help. But I remember my ex, you know, for a couple years being like, Hey, you just need to go talk to buddy. And yeah. my big thing was, no, no, I, I got this. I got this. And, and it was You're that tough, man. You're tough. Yeah, 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 exactly. It was, it was the asking for help was just something, you know, something you don't do. Which, it dude, was the stigma. Dude, which is amazing. Cause every, and I don't know if this is the counseling afterwards, but it seems like your mindset during that you totally understand it's not about you. It's about the people around you to make the mission work. Yeah. And yet at the moment when you need help, it's like, no, I got this. I'm yeah. tough enough to get through. It's such a fucking oxymoron that seems to plague so many people who are coming back from these intense situations. I, I, I can't, I, I don't understand why. Cause they understand team. They understand yeah. sacrifice. They understand discipline. They understand so many aspects of success, but they don't understand like the vulnerability. I, I don't yeah. know if that's what it is. It's, it's, yeah, you're you know, like, it's crazy. Cause you're willing to lay down your life for the person left and right of you, but you're not willing to, help yourself 45 yeah. minute session just to fucking cry like you're scared of tissues or some shit yeah yeah it's... no i mean I, I i had developed a a pretty good drinking problem at that point i was kind of self-medicating yeah. at that point i mean it was it was you know just to get to sleep kind of stuff and that that didn't help with anger issues that didn't help with you know my my being emotionally supportive there you know I was just not present in that relationship. And, um, and you know, it's funny cause I sought help. I kept, you know, I still kept trying to grow. And I think the finding the help helped me because it started help finding, started helping me find many goals to achieve, like working with this person saying, all right, well, let's, let's look to this. And so I started looking forward to things. And then I just remember looking in the mirror one time and being like, man, uh, I'm like 50 pounds heavier than I want to be physically. I was physically out of shape. I was emotionally out of shape. I was mentally out of shape. I, I was just a complete mess. So that's when I signed up for my first, um, my first, you know, obstacle course race, Spartan race. Dude. And then that's, that, that leads to a whole nother path. Yeah, I'm, man, you have such a good knack of moving over decades. And I, I don't know if it's, oh God, man, when you mentioned 50 pounds, but <laughs> that's that's one thing because I'm sure that wasn't lost over a couple months. Do you mind if I go back to the blow up evening and yeah, what what went into you going to sleep versus wanting to take your life? Like, was it a conversation with yourself? Was it a picture? Was it a memory? Yeah. Oh man, you're gonna make me. You're gonna make me. But it was it was my daughter. It was definitely my daughter. And I'm like, um, I. I started really thinking about like her growing up with that dad and then me missing those moments in her like key moments in her life. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, she, um, she saved me. Like that's, that's the best way I can put it. She, 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 she has done for me more than I could ever do for her. That's yeah. so beautiful. No, dude. Thank, thank you for sharing. Dude, I feel the same way about my kid. I, I don't know if I've been, 
that extreme, but I've come to some pretty fucking extreme decisions in my life where, and I have a daughter, she's 12 going on 25. She's a fucking teen, you know, like, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. but early on, man, I'm like, I can't fucking like, do I really want to have my daughter deal with these consequences? And I don't know where that came from within me. I don't know. Have you thought about why do you just chalk it up to the love of a father daughter or do you chalk it up to anything else? Why you have that strong emotional connection? Cause I've tried to reflect and I can't pinpoint it to a, my father was an absentee father. And I guess what I would pin it up to was like, I'm not going to be like that fuck that left me when I was fucking 12. Like, fuck that guy. I'm not a bitch like him, but like, now as I'm mature, I'm like, I feel it's deeper, but I can't pinpoint it to anything as to why I feel this need to just constantly fucking be that dude for you. Like, I want to be your fucking rock to my daughter. I want to yeah. be that rock. I'm your fucking foundation. When shit goes yeah. bad, girlfriend, ain't no earthquake breaking me. I'm here for you type shit. So yeah. I'm curious yeah. if you've reflected and gotten a little deeper on that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I was very fortunate that I had loving and supportive parents. I mean, um, you know, we definitely, it was definitely different for me because, I mean, I was basically growing up with my parents, um, you know, having me as a teenager. I mean, my, my mom and dad, I think my dad just turned 60 and I'm about to turn 41. So oh, it's wow. those, yeah, right. So it's one of those things where, you know, I can distinctly remember worrying about sneaking into a bar at 18 because my mom and dad were like 30. <laughs> And so still getting it in. They were, yeah, yeah, but they, they weren't that young. But it was, it was, it was, it felt like that. Um, so I felt, I feel like we, we kind of grew up together in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think my, my dad was definitely the, the, the rock kind of guy. I mean, he, he, he did what he had to do to support the family. He worked, too, I remember early on in my life, he was working two jobs. I mean, he was doing roofing stuff during the day and at night he was delivering pizzas. Um, you know, and, and we built a special bond just, I remember just as a kid, I mean, one of the, one of the funny stories, you know, and again, it's an emotional story for a lot of people when I say it, but like my dad between the jobs and when he'd come home from the roofing job, he would always bring me those, you remember the Barnum animal crackers in the box? Oh yeah. Uh, Classic fucking lions. Yeah. He would always bring me those. And, um, and it was funny, my first deployment to Iraq, they sent me a care box and it had one of those boxes and it had animal crackers in it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of families like I had and yeah. it was very supportive and things like that. Um, but that being said, like, I don't think there was anything that prepared me for fatherhood and like just that, like my, my, my dad was definitely a great example, but when you're sitting there and you have, you know, your child in, in the hand and that, that she's crying for the first time and doctors, you know, calling you dad for the first time. And that realization is really hitting you because moms have it a little bit different. I feel like they're, they're carrying the child for nine months. There's so much more of a connection there. I feel like, um, just from that. Um, and I think dads, I, I definitely, for me speaking from my own experience, I needed looking back at it to be, a much more present and emotionally supportive and empathetic pregnant dad than I, than I, than, than I was like, I, I, I wrapped myself into too many of the making sure 
the material stuff was, you know, done. Like she had the right bedroom. She had all, mm. she had all these kind of different things and that she was going to have the right five two nine plan. And she was going <laughs> to have savings for college and all this kind of stuff. I wasn't really like the, I wasn't really wasn't the guy that, you know, sat there and felt my wife's stomach and felt the baby kick or listen, try to listen to the heartbeat or things like that. So I, I didn't feel that connection until she was born. And then it was, Oh crap, this is real. And, um, and then, you know, I feel like the first year of, of that is like every parent, I feel like, especially first child is how just figuring it out. Like, yeah. Oh my God. Like, you know, what are, what am I doing? Like, you feel like you're doing everything wrong. And yeah. I felt like, and then I, because of that, my, in the whole perfectionist attitude that I had from probably, you know, a lot of, you know, just life and combat experience and everything else, I felt like I was a failure. Like, you know, and so I think that added to the all, all the other emotional and, and, and mental mess that was going on, uh, feeling I, like I was failing as a dad. Yeah. What made you, was it emotionally not being there for your, was she your wife at the time? I'm sorry if I'm jacking yeah. that up. I don't yeah, mean she to was, yeah, she was. She was. So yeah, you're, was it not being the husband-ish or was it not? you felt like you weren't doing enough connecting emotionally. What made you feel like a failure? I feel like it was the, like the emotionally connected. And then it just like, my ex was just so much better at everything. Like being mo- <laughs> like, it was just like changing a diaper. I can remember like there was one night and there was one night that she went, she wanted to go to a movie with her friends. My ex did. And she was like, can, like this is the first night I'm going to be alone <laughs> with this child by myself. <laughs> and, yeah, like, like, oh my God. How old is and your daughter at this point? How many months or years? Probably five or six months. Oh, dude, yeah. It's and not I'm enough. Like, it's so yeah. not enough. Like, it's so scary. It's like, I don't have a breast. I'm not sure no. if they're going to feel my heart the well, right way. And she she would not stop crying. And I oh tried to feed her. I changed God. her. Yeah. I like put her in the, like, I did the dad thing and put her in the car seat, drove her around the neighborhood like yeah. 70 times. I tried everything and finally I called my ex and I felt really bad because I'm like, I mean, here I am, the dad that's calling on girls night, be like, I can't do it. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was just really rough from that perspective. I, and I remember my ex finally came home and like, you know, my daughter's laying in the bed next to me and we're both passed out at that point. <laughs> like, it's just like, we both brought emotional messes crying the whole night <laughs> together. But uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think it was just all that. And then, you know, just, I, I just feel like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it right. And, um, was it, and then I, uh, yeah, I'm, dude, I'm so sorry to interrupt. And that's what sucks about the zoom versus like in person. But I'm curious, was that one of the first times you actually felt like a failure in your life? Cause everything I've heard, it's very, you're very successful, like athletics, yeah. scholarships, family, military fucking general yeah. two-star aid like it's yeah. like boom boom resume 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 it's like yeah, yeah. i'm gonna leave this off the resume type shit yeah yeah no i think uh and, and you know not you know i'm gonna toot my own horn a little bit but like i i was also once i got out of the military i got very involved in community yeah. and i in richmond i lived in the richmond virginia area and uh i eventually i was nominated as one of the virginia's uh, richmond's uh top 40 under 40 I was in GQ magazine for their men's uh, for their uh, men's better world better search 
I forget what it was. Uh, Better Man, Better World search thing. Uh, nomination. Stop acting like was, you don't have the cover in your bathroom no, framed I, up. I, it wasn't. It wasn't in the magazine. It was just on the website. So, but uh, you can still but, print it off. You can still make but, uh, it look like a cover. But yeah, but yeah, I could. But uh, <laughs> but um, but so yeah, I but I feel like at a certain point, it's humbling, man. At a certain point, that became humbling, yeah. and then it was a mixture of that, and then the mixture of like when my relationship. So not feeling like I'm a good father and then my relationship failing and not only my relationship failing, but that's the second marriage I had been in. Oh. First marriage was kind of wild. Uh, but the second marriage that that's a, that's another that, you know, I could, I can excuse, I can make a ton of excuses for that first marriage. I'm I, not going to, Yeah, there's things I did wrong in it, obviously too. But the second marriage, like that was one that I had to really look and say, like, this is a good woman. Like she's a good mother. She's everything I could ask for. I fucked this up, and um, that was that was that internal like oh my god kind of thing. And then and then you, you start to like think I'm a facade. Like I'm I I'm a fake. Like uh, here like everybody thinks I'm this great guy, and I'm not. And then so that adds to the mental struggle that you're already mm. going through with everything else. And I think that brought me, that literally brought me to that night in the day's end. And it was just thinking about, God, I'm, I'm not a good dad. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm failing. I'm another marriage. I'm, I'm, I feel like everybody thinks I'm one thing and I really feel like I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm, it was just all that compounded on top of each other. Um, and it just, uh, it became rock bottom. Like I said, it, that was, that night was definitely rock bottom for me. And then, I was very fortunate to make it through that night. I, fuck man. I, um, it makes hearing that and just not to go super superficial because you just spoke about how superficial can fucks with you, but on your IG men's mental health advocate, like that can kind of put into perspective why that would matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think I got to a point in my life now where I recognize the, the goodness of reaching out for help and, 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 and talking about what's going on in your life and, and then trying to be, you know, I, I, there's a lot of talk about toxic masculinity out there right now. And, and every, all, all type, all types of masculinity is basically toxic. Yeah. If, if you talk to a lot of people, I don't believe in that. Yeah, I, I, dude, I, I want believe. a bunch of bad motherfuckers in our country. I'll tell you that yeah. much. I want a bunch of fucking bad motherfuckers in our country. Yeah. This shit well, goes down. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I agree. Like there's, there needs to be that masculine energy that that's brought. And I, but I think, you know, there's also needs to be that, you know, and a lot of people are a lot of like, like a lot of toxic men will shudder at this statement, but you also need to be in touch with the feminine. In my opinion, you need to be in touch with that side of yourself. So that's what I was thinking, man, when you go to the days in, did you not, and I'm actually looking in my head, I'm thinking about, man, if I'm hitting that place, do I have someone I trust enough to call? And I don't know if I have an answer to that. And I'm yeah. curious with you, with building the bonds of when you're deployed. And again, like dude from dudes from base training, I'm still not in, like in contact with. But in that moment, they are your fucking brothers. There's something about yeah. like going through traumatic shit, going through any experience that's difficult in a group bonds you. So, you I'm, know, 
uh, like, yeah, man, you didn't have someone you felt safe enough to just be like, dude, I need to fucking vent. I got to like go over here and fucking trash some room or some shit and get this anger out type thing. I didn't want anybody to know. Like it was, it was one of those things where like, I didn't want anybody to know I was struggling. And finally, I, I, I think my, I don't know what I would have done if it wasn't for my parents living like literally down the road. Um, and, and my mom being able to find me help and then do the things that she's and my dad, you know, were able to help me with. Um, but you know, what's funny is ever since I started speaking out about, you know, things that I went through and, uh, all the different, um, kind of, you know, struggles I've had, um, I've had former soldiers reach out to me and I've had, you know, just random, I mean, random people that I've never met in my life will reach out to me via DMs and other things and, and basically say, hey, you know, I'm going through something very similar to what you went through um, and your, your ability to talk and tell your story and be open about it as, you know, I don't have anybody, but I'm, I'm reaching out to you. And so I've, I've, I've been on the phone with people for an hour or two in the, in the gym parking lot, you know, talking through uh, just what they're feeling and what they're going through. I mean, I'm not an expert. I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to be the guy that's going to, you know, diagnose you or anything like that, but I'm here if people need to talk. And I think people realize that when, when, when I guess people are a little bit more open and a little bit more uh, just willing. Um, it's amazing. The, the people that you don't think are going through things that really are. Yeah. Cause if you looked again, like the, the GQ thing's fucking hilarious to me. Cause I feel like that would be my wallpaper. Like it'd be on, instead of a ceiling mirror, I'd put that shit up on the ceiling. That would be my mirror. Right. But you go with all that and you're like, yeah, there's no way this dude doesn't have it going on. Right. Yeah. Like that's, it's so, it seems like it's so easy to hide. Do you have a Why? Like why you think it's easy to cover up? Um, I, you know, I think it's, I think people are so, and especially in today's society, it's so easy to look at a picture on Instagram or a, a collection of pictures on Instagram or on Facebook or on TikTok or wherever you're at and be like, man, this person's got this many followers. They got, you know, they look happy in their picture you know, they, you know, they got it going on mm. and there's another, that picture takes, you know, five minutes of your day. Yeah. There's another 24 or 23 hours and, 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 you know, 55 minutes of that day that nobody knows about. And, um, I think we live in such a superficial world now that, People want to, you know, people want to look like people on Instagram, want to, you know, sound like people on Instagram. They want to, you know, be popular. They want to do all these things. But nobody knows what true, like who the true person is in a lot of cases. And, and um, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about the Instagram following and, and, you know, I, it's nice. I, it's, it's been fun. Um, it definitely gives me a platform, but I, to say people really know, all of who I am is probably not the truth. I mean, people don't get a chance to be around me 24 seven, 365. 
Um, so people don't know everything about me and everything that's going on. So it's really hard to say, you know, point at a person and say, they look really happy on Instagram. So they yeah. got it going on. Yeah. Dude, was it the, the lack of someone to go to? And I, I really don't mean this as an asshole type question, man, because yeah. I'm very scared that I'm going to roll through Virginia and you're going to want to like fucking punch <laughs> me or throw me off a bridge or some shit. I'm telling you're good. Like, I, I wonder dealing with the marital issues, being a new father, like, what did that do for you as an individual to have your own social support circle? Not that you're like in a relationship looking to be able to escape by having friends, if, if that makes sense, like dudes that are going to be like, yeah, you're too good for her type shit. I'm not talking about that, but like having a friend that you trust to not be the... I can be open to this individual and they're not going to guide me in the wrong way against my, at the time, wife. Where if it's like a group friend, there's that weird dynamic of like couple friending where you have yeah. to almost like tiptoe around. Is that making sense? What I'm yeah, getting no, at? No, no, I don't no, know if yeah. I asked that clearly, but no, basically like you can get boxed in if you're feeling really bad and you're in a relationship of, I don't have anyone that's my fucking friend. I have our friends. I don't have my fucking friend. And I need yeah, my no. fucking friend right now. Yeah. So fortunately for me, like I've got a, you know, his name's Mike. Uh, he's a, he's, I won't give all of his information cause he's a SWAT officer, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, thanks for your service, but, Mike, by the way. Yeah. Any yeah, of you no, bad but, motherfuckers. Thank you. But, but, uh, he's, uh, he's been my best friend since 2004 we met. Um, and we actually deployed twice together. He, he was on my first and second deployment, uh, together. I mean, I've been, He's been in my wedding. I've been in his wedding. Um, you know, uh, we've got, we've had kids together, like not together, but we, <laughs> we've, had, we've had, we've had kids now. Uh, you know, I've, I, you know, I just recently traveled up to Chicago to celebrate his 40th birthday. Um, you know, he's been, you know, the, my lifelong friend that I, it kind of, you can be like, he's mine. Like, he's, yeah. like but he's going to give me, you know, the, the, the shoulder I need to talk to and lean on if I, if I need struggle. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the same for him. And we know that about each other. And then, you know, obviously I, you know, post relationship, I've, you know, had my own friends, I've built my own relationships with friends, but, uh, but yeah, having that person that can be not the family member, that's going to be like, you know, biased or the, the group friend that's going to, you know, Oh my God, he's making us take sides. Yeah. Um, but having that support system and having your own kind of friend there, um, definitely helps, I think. Yeah. So not to shit on Mike again, but like what happened that night that you didn't want to go to Mike or talk? I'm telling you when I, when I tell you, I wanted nobody to know about it. I didn't want anybody like it was, it was going to be, if I let anybody in, I felt like it was going to be, I just, the most shameful thing in my life. Like it, I was that bad. Like I was, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the word right now. I don't know about the right word, but, but it was that, it was to that point where I was so, so self just indulgent in the fact that I didn't want anybody to know that I wasn't going to tell anybody, including my best friend and including my family that night. Like, uh, you know, it was if, if, if it was going to happen, the news was going to come in or the, 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 you know, the person that was cleaning the, the days in was going to come find me the next morning when she went to clean the room and the, and they'd be figuring it out after that. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that image that you just said would be everything to make me want to stop because do I want my daughter Googling that image as the last image of her father, right? And I'm sure, yeah. I, I shouldn't say I'm sure, but I would think that would be a little part of what you were talking about when you just realize that's what I'm going to be to my daughter. I'm going to be that fucking yeah. punk. I'm going to be that yeah. dude. You know, like I start getting angry and I would almost want to start fight like Brad Pitt and Edward Norton. I just want to start fucking fighting myself. Yeah. And like, like, yeah. no, no, we're not fucking doing that to her type shit. Yeah. That, 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 and that, that definitely, it was, it was the legacy. I mean, it was a legacy thing. Yeah. Like, that's a great know, way to put it, it. Yeah. It was, it was how, you know, how would I be remembered? um, to her specifically, you know, at that point I didn't care about anybody else, but myself. And then when she entered my mind, it changed, it, it, it led me to, you know, changing my mindset. So waking up and deciding to go to your family, your mom, dad, um, what's that about? Like just a good night's sleep. And you're like, fuck man, that was way too close type thing. No, I, I, I woke up hungover as shit. Um, <laughs> I, I drank myself into a blackout after that all happened. And then, um, so I went to my house hungover, complete mess. And, um, yeah, I, that was the only place I knew to go. Like that was literally like, I didn't, I, my, you know, most of my friends were in the military. I'd, you know, moved along, you know, they didn't live around. And that was the only place I knew to just get in my car and drive to, and that I would be safe. Mm. And so, um, so yeah. And then, like I said, picked up the phone and got on the floor, got on the horn of people and then started, uh, heading the, hitting the path of the right direction, I guess. And over time just kept talking it out, talking it out. And then I remember there was a, my daughter was a couple years older. Um, there was kind of a, a, oh wow moment. Somebody else noticed um, and it was actually my ex and, uh, she asked me the question and, and it was just, it was really interesting. And I reflect back on it a lot cause I talk about it quite a bit is she asked me, why couldn't I have made you this happy? And this was after I had been fairly successful with starting to do endurance events. My Instagram, you know, it started growing. So I was getting a little, you know, I was getting noticed by people and, uh, I wouldn't say that made me happy, but it was just one of those things where like, I think she saw, she saw that uh, piece of it through social media. Um, and then, you know, I just was, a, I, I, I was just a, I had a better relationship with my daughter, man. I, and we, she was, she was happier being with me. And that showed like when we did, you know, transfer, when I, when I picked up my daughter from, from my ex, she was, ex my daughter was excited to see me. We had plans. We always do a Friday daddy daughter date night. We had all these, you know, it was the relationship I had with was having my daughter. I was just probably exuding much more happy, you know, happiness than I had ever done in my past. And my ex just asked me, how could, why didn't I, why could I have not made you this happy? And the best answer I could come up with is you nor anybody else could ever make me this, make, make me happy. I would, I have to, I had to make myself happy. I had to love myself. I had to figure out who I was as a person and I had to get to this place myself before I could make anybody else happy, let alone them make me happy. And so, yeah, that, 
that was it. <laughs> how did you how did you get there? It sounds like you found the meaning of life. Yeah, I, I think it's just <laughs> I, I wish. God, I, I'd be a billionaire right now. Next fucking but, uh, real. Next real posted right here. Meaning of life. <laughs> meaning of life. Uh, but uh, no, I think uh, I think it was just finally being more self aware and getting in touch with parts of myself that I never you know gone to. I. I was the suck it up and drive on kind of guy my whole life. It was like, oh, you, you know, you fell down, suck it up, drive on. And then I started realizing with my daughter, I couldn't just keep being the suck it up and drive on kind of guy. If I wanted to have any kind of relationship with her, she got older. Like, I, I want her to be comfortable coming to me with things late, like whether she's now, whether, you know, oh, dad, I, you know, little Becky spilled something on me in school to, you know, the more serious stuff that's likely going to happen when she's a teenager yeah. and moving on in her life. Fucking Josh is sliding into my DMs, dad. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I want her to be able to come to me with those things. And the only way she's going to come to me with those things is if I change what I you know, change the way I had relationships with everyone, including my, my ex-wife. Mm. And, and that's to be more emotionally and present, be, you know, be more open and able to talk to people versus just, Oh God, this person's coming up with a problem. I don't want to hear about their problems. Or in a lot of cases, what a lot of us do, well, somebody will be coming to us with a problem and trying to talk it out. And instead of listening to them, we start formulating the answer that we're going to have already in our head without ever, you know, fully taking it in. So being able to comprehend, not only just communicate, but comprehend and all those kind of different things just led me to, I guess a different space in my life. And, and then, you know, the, I think one of the big things was I was being open with close people, like my family, my friends, I was being more open with them, but I think it, I don't think it was until I really just came out to the world with Instagram and said, Hey, here's who I am. Take it or leave it. It's, I'm not the guy that, you know, is, 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 you know, the superhero or these kind of things. These are all the struggles I've had in my life. I've had two divorces. I've had drinking problem. I've had PTSD, depression, anxiety. I've had all this stuff. Boom. And then the reaction wasn't shame, shame, shame. The reaction was, oh, thank you. Somebody's actually being open and honest about, you know, the, st the stuff in their life besides just posting pretty pictures all the time. And um, I think that just drove me to a whole nother level with just, you know, all right, well, I'm here now. How can I turn around? And it's the, I think this may be more the military mindset. How can I turn around now and help others? How can I reach mm. out to the person and the brother and sisters that are left and right of me and, and help maybe save them? Um, from being in the same spot I was in just, you know, those few, eight years, whatever, four or six years ago or whatever it was. Um, how do I, how do I do that? Um, and so that's when I got really just, um, into being an advocate for just veterans mental health. And then just, and, and what I found a lot was men's mental health because a lot of time men in particular, you know, I don't want to bucket everybody obviously but many yeah. in particular have a straw have a harder time coming forward and talking about feelings and emotions and being open with what's going on in their lives they tend to that stigma sticks around with you got to be a man and you got to suck yeah. it up and drive on dude i wonder how much is a stigma this is something i reflect on so much is like 
how much is a stigma and how much is a, can I trust you with shit that you can't cross the line and fuck with me about? Cause so much with dudes is I can fuck with you about this, yeah. right? Like so much is fuckery, but yeah. there's some shit that you're like, you can't fucking cross this line, dude. Like if you cross this line, we're going to fucking battle type shit. And it's, how do you find that trusting relationship, that trusting vent partner <laughs> to be like, yeah. I can, I, I, you're not going to come back. And then if we're five beers deep around a fire, all of a sudden you're going to throw, you're going to make some fucking snide remark that I'm going to hop across, grab a fiery log and try to stab it through your eye. Yeah. And to that, I just say, like, I think I eliminated those type of people from my life. Um, I think that was one of the big things is, is, you know, finding a friend circle and, and I don't have a ton. I don't, I mean, I'm not the guy that's got like 150,000 friends. Uh, you know, I keep my friend circle pretty tight and it's the people I trust and the people that I know will have my back. And, 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 you know, it's one of the, it's just like a relationship. I'm not going to waste my time with people that can't be present emotionally and, you know, physically supportive and just everything that, you know, you look for in a relationship, you're looking for the same thing out of, of friendships. Yeah. And, um, and I've been just very fortunate that over time I've kind of weeded out the people that weren't really true friends. And, um, and, and then the, the big piece I think that all of us have is that, that judgmental piece, uh, people judging you and, and talking about you. And then I think I got to a point you know, cause I still, I, even to this day, I'll get the snide comments and, you know, the comment section of a post or, or the DM that's, you know, calls me names and stuff like that. But, and I used to let that stuff get to me. I, you know, I'd be like, Oh man, this, like, I feel like I gotta just go back at this guy. Um, and, and <laughs> like say, get, get into, get into a keyboard warrior fight here. No um, but I think they just came to a point where, uh, I'm just so comfortable and self-aware and, and who I am and what I bring to the table that, you know, if somebody has a disagreement about it, <laughs> all right, fine. That's, that's your opinion, whatever. I'm going to let it roll off my yeah. back, but I'm, I can trust these small group of people with a, getting a true barometer check on my thought process, what I'm feeling, how I'm feeling at that point. Am I, am I, am I crazy in thinking this or am I crazy in doing this? Those kind of things. I have a small group of people that I go to and I say, Hey, look, I'm thinking about doing this or I just experienced this. Am I reacting in a you know, crazy manner and get sound solid advice from them. And how were they previous relationships without the family, as far as your ex and your daughter or these post like divorce relationships where you're yeah. on some sort of like, I need a friend Tinder type shit, swipe right for some <laughs> dude that's like, <laughs> he looks like he'd be a good guy to reflect with. <laughs> no, I, you know, I think, um, you know, obviously I still have relationships with people that, you know, and from the past, and, you know, my best friend is one of them, Mike. Um, uh, but a lot of the relationships that I've had friendship wise have, have, have been since I've, started my journey post everything that happened, uh, you know, post relationship and everything like that. And I think it was just, it's a, you know, it's a different season in my life. I think is the best way to put it. I, I know it's a hallmark saying, but it's, uh, it's a Cliche different for a reason. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, 
so it's it's one of those things where like i the different season calls for different people and different friendships and and um so i've built and developed relationships from you know everything that that, that i've been experiencing whether it be you know, through the gym, gym friendships, since I've been, you know, more physically active, or maybe it's the, you know, guy, you know, the guys and gals that do the hundred, hundred plus mile races with me, or yeah, uh, the folks that I climb Mount Kilimanjaro with that, you know, it's just, you, you, you get all these amazing friendships from, from different experiences now. And uh, so it's a different friend group. And, um, and I'm just very fortunate that they're around and supportive. And I get a chance to also be supportive of them. Is it easy to trust them? And again, not to like throw shade, but it, it, I guess the reason I think about that is because you're like, I kind of found a little bit of happiness once I started being a little more free and posting on this Instagram. And then your ex being like, why couldn't I give that to you? And like, so I'm, I'm almost wondering like a trust, not, I, I want to say like trust issue. Cause I can't fucking diagnose you, but like, Trust has to be a little bit of a thing with you, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, I, you know, I think <laughs> trust, trust, trust is definitely something that I, I, I struggle with. It's one of it's one, it's one probably one of my red flags. Um, Did I just burn I, it by asking that question? <laughs> no, no, to like... no, no, no. But it's a, it's a good question. I think I think a lot of it is getting to a point where no matter what you say to someone, in a lot of cases, you're you, you're already ready for the world to know it. Like I, for me, like there's, there's not a lot that the world doesn't know at this point, if they follow me for any length of time that, you know, I've been very open about it and, and, and my experiences and everything. And, and so like, you know, okay, go, go tell it on a mountain. I, gotcha. I don't give a shit. Um, so you uh, own but, it. Yeah. Just yeah, owning yeah, just whatever owning, you've done. Yeah. Being able to own that, but also just, yeah. I mean, developing, like, I think the big trust issue isn't with what I'm telling you. It's what I'm giving you. And what I'm giving you is my time. In a lot of cases, my, you know, whether it be, a, and again, it's going to be a hallmark saying, but kind of the heart, yeah. the heart part of you, not, not the mind, not the body, but the heart part. It's, it's the, I'm trusting you with my feelings and my emotions and those kind of things. And if you break that trust, that's a whole different level of, of, of trust, you know, the, the I guess, um, you know, I, I don't know how to word it, but, but yeah, it's, it's a whole different level of, 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 uh, of going against me, I guess. And, and that's the part that I struggle with, to be honest. It's, it's, and I think that's the part that I've struggled with since my ex with regards to dating and relationships is, and, that, and I'm not only just talking about trust now with my heart, but I'm also talking trust with a little seven-year-old heart. Dude. Yeah. So I don't, Jesus Christ, that, um, and not to go against any sort of religious beliefs you have, but man, that to me, again, you, you say so much, man, that makes me think, and me as a person, I try, I'm trying to get better at not interrupting or interjecting. Yeah. But I'm like at a fork in the road with, developing friendships outside of a relationship in like mid 40 ish, which or forties, which could be hella scary and finding a new social group. But then I'm also like, do I go down the road of how do you decide 
I'm going to be a dude, not a dad. And not to be a misogynistic jerk, but it's like, yo, I still want to be attracted to ladies. I still want to go out and like feel that feeling. I still want to like have moments with you alone. And then being like balancing that with like, oh, I need to introduce you to my daughter. (laughs) You know, like it's a weird fucking juggling act. And I wonder if it's one in the same with like determining who's good enough to be in your group. And it almost sounds like your daughter kind of gets to be a little bit of that filter where it's like, Hey, is my friend good enough to be around my kid? Then you know what? They're good enough to be around me. Hey, is this chick? I don't know if you've met one yet. Good enough to be around my kid. Good enough to be around me. Is that kind of the thought process? I don't mean to put words in your mouth. No, no. I mean, it definitely is. Especially like, like the friendship piece. Definitely. A lot of the friends I got have kids themselves. Um, You know, it's one of those situations where, you know, kids meet kids. And next thing you know, like, Hey, I'm, friends with somebody new that my friend met at the playground or at the beach. Yeah. Um, so you get a lot of those type of friendships that kind of grow over time. Uh, but, but with regards to relationships, my daughter has never met anybody that I've dated. And to be honest, I haven't dated anybody long-term in the six years that I've been kind of single since the, the separation and everything that happened with my ex. So um, it's been one of those situations where like, you know, I, I don't know, like my time with her is precious to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, like I said, I mentioned earlier, Friday night, daddy, daughter, date nights are huge for me. That's my time to sit down with her at the end of the week. And, you know, we go to her favorite restaurant because she feels like she's a rock star there because the, uh, the, the waitresses and the bartenders and all of everybody know her. Um, and then, um, and, it's and awesome. Then, you know, just, we- just as a real quick side, anybody who's in a restaurant and doesn't understand the power they have over kids feeling good when they know apple juice versus lemonade or they know pepperoni and onion or, oh, you're the no crust. Like whatever the fucking special thing is, restaurant people make days. They make so many memories for kids. Oh, pink balloon, right? Those little type of things, man, are so appreciated by parents and kids. Oh man, it's funny you mentioned that because like the like the waitresses, no matter who it is, will come up and be like, "So you want your lemonades with your cheeseburger and fries?" And she's like, "Yep." <laughs> and like, so it's her regular. And then they always like she always gets me to get the shrimp. She'll get, and I got to get a pound of shrimp now because she picks the shrimp. She's she's already turned into, you know, I'm not gonna, I don't want to typecast, but she's turned into a typical woman where she's already picking off my plate. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's that's definitely like our dedicated time yeah um i've probably only gotten a babysitter and and really my mom and dad are the babysitters i've probably only used them two or three times to do things but um normally if i schedule something if there's a date or something that i want to go on it's hey you gotta we gotta find a time that i'm not being dad yeah and um and and my you know my ex has, has her time with my daughter and um and that turns into the the memes that you see sometimes where it's like being an adult that's dating in your 30s and 40s is like all right let's schedule something all right how about uh what is friday november 23rd 2027 look like for you kind of thing <laughs> uh so that that's been a you know i i'd say it's been a difficult part of the dating scene too yeah so is it is part of your filter finding 
others with kids so that they can understand the issue or does that tend to complicate it more does it even matter is it more about like did she give a full body pic versus just a profile <laughs> pic or is it no. like friend recommendation at this point yeah no the apps i've given up on like i uh, it's just they're worthless at this point i mean it's i don't know but uh no i think for me like the thing that i always harp on is you know I, I'm not looking for another mom for my daughter. Like she has one. She's great. She's a great mom. We have a great relationship. If that scares you off, so be it. But we co-parent very well and we're going to do everything in our power to make sure my daughter's raised and loved and given all the opportunity in the world, uh, together. Um, so there's that piece. I don't need another mom. What I do need is a woman who's going to be a strong female role model for my daughter, another strong female role model for my daughter. And then someone that I can, you know, show my daughter how daddy treats kind of another woman and what a loving relationship looks like from that perspective. Damn. Dude. Yeah. Not to get, cause I felt like it was a good vibe, but I'm just, (laughs) for some reason, go into any guilt feelings of remorse and I'm wondering if with her mother does that, and this is probably a terrible question, dude, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but like it, it, cause, cause you obviously care. And the fact that you want examples there, it does it fuck with you again, failure wise after being so successful that you're like, yeah. fuck man, I didn't even show you how a woman should be treated because the, unfortunately what went down with your mom and I, I knowing nothing about it is yeah. not how I want things to go down with your guy and you. Yeah. No, that, I mean, like so that, that's heavy, my, right? Yeah. That's my daughter's heavy... definitely really, my daughter, my daughter's young, like probably a little too young to remember how the relationship really went. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get that question one day from her when she's older. It's like, Hey, what happened with you and mom? Um, regarding mine, her mom's relationship. Like I said, it's very good now. Like she's happy. I think again, you talk about seasons and in, in lives. I think this six years apart, we're definitely in different seasons. It would, you know, we just wish the best for each other individually. Um, and, and, and that's that relationship. But, uh, but yeah, I think the best I can do now is use the opportunities that I have specifically with my daughter to set the standard. And yeah. so, you know, things like the daddy daughter date night, like things like, you know, opening car doors, like things that I find still, like you talk about masculinity, you talk about chival- like chivalry still yeah. being alive. You know, it's funny. I, I, I tell the story a lot. My daughter, I, I started teaching her like, Hey, you know, when, when you're walking down the sidewalk or in your parking lot or something, you always walk on the side away from traffic. You walk on the side. you. Know? And so the way she took that was instead of being like, Hey, this is a nice thing. And the guy, you know, the guy just walks between you and traffic. She took it as, oh, guy dies first. <laughs> like, how'd you get out of all the things, you got that out of it? Yeah. So, yeah, so she always, like, every time I move her on the sidewalk to the opposite side, she's like, oh, man dies first. I'm like, oh, man. Tactical formation. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, like, but, I, like, again, I try, to, I try to set the bar, but it's a different experience. I... I it's just different when you're in a relationship with someone versus trying to show your daughter, you know, you know, and be, you know, supportive of her and do the things uh, from the dad's perspective versus her physically 
seeing, oh, this is this is how dad treats somebody he loves in a loving, you know, relationship. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely, like, some, ah, man, wish I had that person, but, uh, yeah. but I'm not going to rush it. Have any of the people, and I don't want to assume they're female in your life, although I will assume that they're female in your life, have any of the females, like, sweated you? to be involved in your daughter's life? And you were like, that's a fucking deal breaker. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've been like pretty fortunate in the people that I, you know, I have kind of went on dates with and kind of been around, haven't really, you know, tried to interject specifically. And if they ever have, like if there's been a conversation and it's like, they went down like a path like that, it's like, that's an immediate like red flag cut off. Like we're, let's not waste our time. And I think that's another thing that came with age and experience was, you know, there, there's definitely like, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say like, I have like these hard sets, you know, things where like, if you don't meet 10 out of the 10 things, you're out of it. Uh, but like, there's, there's some things that I'm like, that's a, just a no go at this station. And uh, we're not going to waste each other's time anymore. And we should probably just find, you know, find our separate paths. I like it. The no-goes. Yeah. Um, do, do you want to put any on the record? Uh, well, that, the, the, being the, the trying to be a mom thing is definitely one. Uh, and then the other one I put out yesterday in a reel was the, um, and, and I, again, I got a ton of comments about different situations, so I don't want to typecast everybody in their situations that they come from out of ex relationships. But one of the big things I noticed is like people that immediately start talking about their ex and in a very like bad way, like, and I get abusive relationships and and things like that. Those are things that definitely like relationship, like relationships that have left you emotionally, physically scarred and things like that. Those need to be talked through. and, and, And I get that. But the people that are just like, Oh, he was an asshole and blah, 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 blah. And like things like that is like immediately like, uh, okay, we're going there, but okay. So here's a question for you. What did you learn from that relationship yeah, that you could have done better? And you know, that, that's a thing that kind of, a uh, that emotion, that, uh, self-awareness is kind of a, a big thing for me. Just being like self-aware and understanding where you're coming from and everything. And then, uh, I have a friend, she jokes on me about this all the time, but, um, you know, I'm one of my big things is I, I want to be with somebody that's been through some shit in their life. Like, I, you know, not, not to say, you know, everybody hasn't, or, you know, everybody's experiences are different, but if you're, you know, I, again, the joke is if, if, if the worst thing that's ever happened to you is you lost your car chapstick, then <laughs> eh, the relationship between us is probably going to be a lot different than somebody who, you know, has been through some things, struggled a little bit because at the end of the day, relationships are hard. And I don't want somebody that's going to run at the first side of hard. Like you got to have somebody, you got to have somebody who's in military slang. You got to have a battle buddy. You yeah. got to have somebody that's willing to go to war with you no matter what the situation and, and stick by you and not run at the first sign of, Oh man, this is just too hard. And I think, I feel like a lot of the society today runs at the first sign of Dude, like, just. it's weird because you're taught. I know I'm taught as a teacher, like your hardest moment is the exact same as my hardest moment to us. Yes. Right? Versus yes. when we put the circumstances together, your fucking hardest moment, mortifier, whatever, my hardest moment, 
I ran out of gas and I had to walk five miles yeah. and figure out how I'm going to bump $4 off of somebody. Probably not like relatively comparable yeah. at all. Right. So like I try to understand that aspect with if the hardest fucking thing you've been through is running out of gas and having to walk a couple miles versus I, I've gotten three hours sleep and I'm worried about 40 soldiers going down a convoy. Yeah. And now we disagree over Christmas plans. Yeah. I feel like that's a new threshold where it's going to be below yours, but above theirs. And that's where it severs, right? Like that would be the breaking point of these relations. So like, that's how I try to put it in like my head is like, will the threshold of the disagreement be below our worst experiences? Because if it is yeah. below, we've already built in those coping mechanisms. And yeah. if we want to be together, it's not going to break us where if it's above your threshold, it's water above you. We're kind of fucked, man, because you're going to wig out and I'm just not, I don't know if I'm going to be able to understand you through why it's that big of a deal. Yeah. I think that's, that's a good point that also I think translates over to veteran mental health and, and like when you specifically talk about PTSD, post-traumatic mm. stress, um, the, uh, you know, there's, there's different, you can't throw a blanket over PTSD yeah. for everyone. Everybody's, everybody's experiences, like you said, are different. And the trauma is probably the same, but it's a different experience. So how do you treat some, some, you know, every, you know, this, this one diagnosis of PTSD, but several hundreds of different types of experiences individualized that's the struggle i feel like is and that's where you get the well nobody understands where i'm coming everybody understands i got ptsd but nobody understands my experience like what got me there like with the experience part and i think that's the disconnect and and that's the struggle and really trying to, to help veterans and help people that experience some level of trauma that has led to ptsd for them yeah man that's Super interesting. And what a pivot from talking about dating, right? And like yeah. red flags. That's left me with PTSD too, but especially <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine those fucking dude. Yo, if you're in shape and you got a career in your mid forties, I can't imagine what fucking whatever spam phishing schemes, like just oh. the fucking messages, the fact that you have pecs like can bring on, on a fucking dating app. But that's, that, I don't know, that's, yeah. that's a side note that's is PTSD. Conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious about the P and actually Ben, I'm sorry. I should ask this. I know like normally we go two hours. How are you doing on time? Am I, oh, I'm good right now, man. I'm like, I, I this okay. is a night. I, I picked this night for a reason. I, I'm daughterless. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, I didn't want to hold you up, man. I, you know, I always try to be like conscientious of people's time. Um, oh, you're good. Because the, the PTSD thing, I'm curious about with when you talk about having your hard experiences, do you have a pinpoint moment that you feel you had to work through stress-wise that was difficult uh, to cope with that like you were like, man, I'm glad I got to talk to somebody about this? No, I don't think there's a specific moment. I think it's just an accumulation of a lot of different types of events. It's not like... Um, for me, it wasn't, it does it's not equivalent of somebody who survived the sexual assault, for instance. Yeah. That's, that's a very specific type moment. Uh, for me, it's, 
it was definitely a collection of many different moments. So when I have like a like a night, you know, a nightmare type thing, it could be one of five different experiences that I've had that have led to that. Um, so that's 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 a little bit different, I guess. Um, but but yeah, I think for me, like definitely a lot of it, a lot of the way I react to things probably. And a lot of the things I think about came from that 2004 suicide bomber moment. That's probably one of, if I could lay a flag at a single moment, um, that's probably the start of it, uh, for that. But there's a lot of other things that have gone into that diagnosis too, that, um, you know, uh, so just being able to pinpoint that one thing, um, is pretty difficult. It's not like some other folks that have been through a very traumatic one event that that they can point to do you think that's pretty common for vets that it's that slow collection yeah um and um it it was a very good podcast i was gonna say i wish i could remember who was on it now uh but it was a group of veterans getting together and and uh and one of them had uh, kind of the the idea and they threw it out there that it might not be post-traumatic stress uh, for a lot of veterans, it's the lack of traumatic stress. Hmm. And by that, it gets to the point where you were talking about earlier, you're running on this high of constantly being in combat, you know, doing, doing your job, thinking about survival, all this kind of stuff. Then you come home and you're very comfortable. And so now you're trying to find, how do I find that high again that I found in combat? And that leads you down some pretty dark paths. And so I thought that was just very interesting. I, you know, I don't know if it's in any medical journal or anything yeah. like that, but I found that just to be a very interesting conversation to talk about is, is maybe it's, maybe it's not just a PTSD, like where we can land that flag on a single event, like we're talking about now, but maybe the collection of all these different traumatic events leads you to kind of almost getting used to it. So when you come home, there's the lack of it creates this, you know, black hole, that you find yourself, you know, with drug addictions and alcohol abuse and suicide and all these different things. Is that what got you into the ultra running? So I, and maybe like this would be a good point to get into the plus 50 pounds. Because if yeah. people fucking whatever, I'm scrolling through your Instagram and I'm like doing pull ups in preparation for this in case you have your <laughs> shirt off and I got a fucking strip to be like, let's go, <laughs> you know, but like it is that coming home the 50 pound gain and then the realization of i need challenges let me put my body through some hard things do you mind talking a little bit about that yeah so like i said i was when when the separation happened with my ex i was i was definitely not in the shape i wanted to be in um and and i was kind of 50 pounds heavier than i am now and not in a good way um and and i just it wasn't what there be would there be a good way for you to, what are your stats right now? What's your height? What's your weight right now? Uh, I'm like six foot one ninety right now. Six foot yeah. one, one ninety. Yes. Yeah, six foot, no, six foot one ninety. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so, so, um, so I'm not, I wasn't Chris Bumstead or any of these bodybuilders out there. <laughs> uh, no, I was definitely overweight and then not, and I was bad. I, I was, you know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. Do, you know, doctors at the VA were like, ah, you should probably start like losing some weight. Um, and so, um, so I, I remember, God, so this was probably April, March, April timeframe of 2017. So a couple months after me and my ex had split, 
um, I found a Groupon deal for a Spartan race in Virginia. And I was like, you know what? I did obstacle course races in the military, or I did obstacle courses in the military. Let's give this a shot. Not knowing I was getting myself into like a six mile running mountain race with obstacles kind of scattered in. Right. Um, and you're so, 240 ish at this time. Yeah, I was like 235, 240 at the Dude, time. Yeah. So that, just to emphasize your point, I think I've, over the summer, as a teacher, I can drop maybe eight pounds, eight good pounds while I work out. So I kind of lean out, yeah. but I lose weight. I drink way too much. If I didn't fucking drink in the summer, I'd probably be like 140, right? But I'm like 175, 10 myself. I got to a point where I was 185 and I'd go for a jog and my knee would hurt. Yeah. And you're like, it's fucking 15 pounds. It's the winner. What, like, what's the big deal? So I'm just picturing six miles with obstacles with an additional 50, like how many people really jog with a 50 pound vest when you train, right? Yeah. Like maybe you do 20 pound, right? Yeah. 50 is stupid. Nobody, I don't think anybody does that. So just for perspective to go a Spartan 50 over your regular is yeah. fucking insane. It, well, I, to put it into perspective, like, I, I signed up for, you know, the local gym kind of during that time as well. Uh, and I just remember getting on the treadmill for the first time and, uh, <laughs> crying. And I, and I used to be a PT stud, like, a like when I did PT tests in the army, like I was the perfect score guy. I, I was able to run like 11 minute, two miles and 11? stuff like that. Fuck. I was going to say, dude, I hit a 300 as well, but I never hit 11. 12, 15 was my lowest for the two. Yeah. Miles. So I, I, I was. I was, you know, especially when, I was in Iraq. when you're in Iraq, you're, those deployments, you get all kinds of fit, like going over there. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like prison. But, uh, <laughs> I bet. But, dude. but, uh, but yeah, so I mean like that first mile, I probably didn't like, it was like 13, 14 minutes. It was like, it was hellacious. I, I, I probably walked, I did a run walk kind of thing. And it really wasn't a run. It wasn't graceful run at that. But, um, but to put it into perspective, to fast forward from 2017, you know, March, April timeframe, running that first treadmill mile at 13, 14, 15 minutes to now I could run 50 miles at a 945 pace. Jesus. And so like, like being able to look back on that now and like reflect, it was just something different for me. And like, so I got my start in obstacle course racing. That first obstacle course race almost killed. Like I... They have a bucket carry. It's like a 40, 50 pound bucket filled with rocks that you have to like carry like over like a less, it's probably a little bit less than a quarter mile loop. I dropped that bucket on the ground 30 times and probably sat on it four or five times and just contemplated life. Um, but, uh, but I remember finishing that race and being like, man, I, it, it sucked, but I liked pushing myself. I liked mm. the, the, and I feel like I could get better. I think it was one of those things where it's like, much like my mental health, it was like, yeah. I can do this better. And it's a metric that has yeah. to feel great when you're like, hey, if I train and now I can know I do better. Yeah. And so that first race was in June 2017 was my first race. And by December, I had competed. Like I was like a madman about it. I was signing up for like a race a month kind of thing. And <laughs> I was traveling up the East Coast doing them. By December, I had signed up for my first uh, elite series, like elite race on Spartan. And, um, and the first race I did, I probably finished top 1000 open, like just everybody. 
at the in December I had lost about thirty pounds by that point, and oh, I finished twenty in the beast race, the thirteenth, like the half marathon race on Saturday, and then I finished like top twenty again on the sprint, the five k race the next day, and that was in the elite. Like that, that was the in shape, ridiculous guys you see out on Spartan on YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah. Can, so, can I pause you just yeah. to not go too quick? Losing the 30 pounds, do, did you attribute that to like just muscle memory? Hey, my body knows what it feels like. So if I just become more active and maybe drink a little less, it just sheds off? Or was there something specific you did to lose the weight? No, I, I, I changed my whole diet. Like I changed everything about like the way I was eating. Cause I was like, it was, it was bad. Like being a dad, like, it was just easy to grab, you know, oh, chicken nuggets. They sound great. Mac and cheese. That sounds awesome. Um, so it was that kind of stuff. It was getting back to just eating like cleaner and like a little healthier. Um, Did and you then go down the whole like keto, paleo, no, I, carnivore. You just were like, hey, man, if I cook it, it's good. I don't need to like measure out grams of sugar within a watermelon I, compared to a strawberry I, type I, shit. I never followed any kind of diet. Just no clean. Kind of no macro stuff. I've never, I've never weighed my food. I've never done anything. Gotcha. Like I, I just look at, like, I, I just, you know, if it, I grocery shop like on a, like almost like a three or four day basis. Yeah. And like, like to say, Hey, look, if it, if it's, if it doesn't spoil, like if I got something on the, on, on a rack that doesn't spoil, like after two years, it's probably not good for me. <laughs> so, so like, so like, it's one of those things where it's just using common sense and then just making it like, this is my big thing to people. It's, don't chase the diets. You have to make it a lifestyle. You have right. to make this the way that you're going to be able to manage the way you eat and the way you, you know, move your body forever. Like, don't think of it as, you know, specific events, even though the goals season. are nice to have. Like, it's great to be like, oh, I'm going to sign up for this race and train for that. But also be thinking about post-race. Like, what am I going to do? after that when there's not that goal there anymore to drive me mm. like what do i do then um and so that and, that's when i just kind of made it a lifestyle and just because we're there are you like a supplement dude at all yeah yeah i i've been i've been sponsored by a couple supplement companies at this point oh, no and yeah so I, I like i've been able to get you know and the first supplement company i was with uh was kind of a very small supplement company. So I got a chance to really understand that world and what was going into the supplements and why, you know, certain things you needed in supplements. So I got a really good science lesson, uh, from this guy. And, and, and so, uh, who was the C he called him the chief endurance officer, not the C not the chief executive officer. Dude, I fucking uh, love that. That was pretty neat. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so I got a chance to be from that. So, so I do use supplements. I don't, don't really overdo it a whole lot but I, I mean i do like especially like when you talk talk about like recovery and uh and intra especially when you're doing uh long 100 mile races having the right supplementation to keep your body rolling 24 or 36 hours is pretty key you can't just go you know you can't just pile up you know what david goggins did with like you know ritz crackers and water and yeah survive. i don't know <laughs> if i believe that story man that <laughs> first fucking story <laughs> If he did that, he's a one of a kind, like kind Dude. of person. But like two days notice type shit. Yeah. So yeah, I was on some fucking challenge and I'm like audio listening to his book tell that story. And I'm like, 
it can't. Now, now again, he's a seal, and who am I to call like bullshit on David Goggins? But yeah. it is that fucking unbelievable to be like yeah. my first hundred yeah. miler, and like on the first fifty miles, he said he was fucking crushing it, right? Like he was yeah. on pace to finish within like whatever 13, 14 hours or some shit. Yeah, yeah it was ridiculous. No, I mean, like having been through a couple of those now, like you trust me, you'll see some freaks of nature out there, like guys and gals, especially some of the women, like. Because at a certain point, like in endurance events, women basically can uh, like equal or better than men. Like that's why Courtney DeWalter is one of the greatest. I call her the goat of ultra running. Like she, you know, she could run 240 miles and smoke a bunch of dudes by like 10 hours. That's so insane. like it, it's she's you know it, it it's that kind of stuff there in that world. But um, but yeah, some of the stories you hear out of that world are like wild, and 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 there's some. It did, did, I think uh, Joe Rogan had somebody on the podcast that said, uh, maybe it was Courtney that said, you got to have some kind of demon to run, to want to run a hundred miles. And uh, I don't disagree with them. I think the big thing with that, those races and circling back to, to talk about struggle and PTSD and everything like that. I think having been through that has helped me excel at being able to survive these long, you know, multi-day type endurance events because it all boils down to mindset. And 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 I've been through harder. I've been through more difficult things in my life. I can survive 24 hours. That's your cookie jar, man. That's Goggins. Yeah. Yeah. Put something Goggins. in the cookie jar. Yeah. yeah. Dude, no, I, no, I look at you and I do not think of an endurance runner. But I guess no, now like, right, like 190. But now I'm wondering like how much does Goggins weigh? Because he was ballooned all the way up to fucking whatever he said, like 300 some pounds, but he has a similar, I think He's physique, like over, like, like not, I'm, I'm not saying you got like man boobs, but you got some pecs. And when yeah. you think of like ultra runners, they're fucking rails, man. You don't want all that. Uh, you don't want to move all that weight. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, he's, he's about the same build. Um, I've run into him. Like I didn't, I didn't get a chance to officially meet him, but I've run into him at a race. Um, and you're like, Oh, okay, he's a, he's a bigger guy. Um, and so like, you're, you're right. And that's kind of where I got the, uh, the muscular ultra runner thing from is because <laughs> a lot of the start lines I go to, like, the, you know, the guy, the other guys and gals on the start line are looking at me like, really, really kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and especially being able to do, because you see a lot of different body types in some of these races and, and, you know, more power to them all. You'll see, I mean, you'll get smoked by a 60-year-old man. And I've been smoked by a 60-year-old. I've been in a battle for a second place with a guy who was 10 years older than me. It's so humbling. Um, I, I do it yeah. in 5Ks all the time. And it is humbling to see someone like balding, old, flabby, and you just can't fucking catch them. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> I mean, and I think in this world, like, it, the separator really i mean you'll get a lot of people that in a 24-hour race that'll finish like 50 or 75 miles but 100 miles in 24 hours or less is kind of like the the goal for a lot of people and um and i've been able to fortune i've been fortunate to break that a couple times now and it's funny because you know i one of the last 24-hour races i did i didn't know finishing second I, I ran 105 miles in the 24 hours and, um, but I, it was, it was really interesting because like a lot of people, one, you're looking at me and like, Oh my God, why is this guy running around shirtless? 
look looking like this, but uh, but it was also like you talk again. Uh, you know, I always want to circle back to mindset. And each one of these races has taught me something different about myself. And at the end of the twenty four hour race, we got down to like an hour left. It was a little bit less than an hour. And when you get down to that point in a run of these twenty four hour races, a lot of times they'll do like half mile out and backs, so you can you can accumulate more miles. Because a lot this this race in particular was like a four four almost five mile loop that you just did over and over and over wow. again for twenty four hours. That's got to drive you nuts. Do you like that the sh- I, loop I like love that? It. Really? I, I, I might be crazy, but I love it. And I don't wear headphones. I don't listen to podcast. I don't listen to any music. Stop. I, it's me for 24 hours in my head, me against me. What the fuck are you thinking about? Everything. Like, it's just, it's literally, you think about everything in your life. You think about the struggles. You think about, and you're constantly doing body checks, obviously. Like, oh, is this pain? Is this really something I should be thinking about or something? But, uh, but, the, but it's funny because in a race like that, I always say that, that you got to be prepared for the demons because they're going to come. They're going to they're going to come, and normally they come right around the, when the sun goes down, and you get to mile eighty of a hundred mile race, and you got twenty miles left, and uh, you're struggling. You're on the struggle bus. And everything hurts. That's when your mind will start playing those tricks on you and start being like, "Hey, why are you doing this? Nobody's going to fault you if you quit right now." It's got all those questions you have in your head. And, and that's when you have to challenge yourself to overcome all that. And that's when you start learning things. And that's, at least from my personal experience, that's where you learn more about yourself than you ever will, you know, doing other things maybe. I, I don't know. I think everybody's got their own 100-mile race in their life. But for me, that's, that's when I, I, I learn the most about myself is in those dark hours, you know, just hearing the rocks under my feet and, you know, in complete silence just, logging miles it's amazing that you embrace it because the podcast the music part just whatever ear airpods in your ears would be such a distraction and maybe get you to mile 95 98 but the fact that you're just like sitting there waiting to get pounced on by your own mind yeah that's a fucking sickness (laughs) yeah that it might but uh, no i mean like but it's again like so, you know, it's a race. Like, I got down to the last hour of it, and um, I, I was at 100. I made the 100 miles, but I, I, I wasn't going to settle at that point. And then there's a website that has, like, the top performances in 24 hours and stuff. And I was like, I just got to I gotta just log as many miles as I can get just so I can. I want to make that list. And so, <laughs> so I just... I just started kind of like, I found something in those half mile out and backs at the very end. And the last mile I did, I, the, I did the half mile out. And then on my half mile back, I just remember the race director being like, you got like three minutes left before the cutoff. And I looked out at my watch and I was, I had dropped my pace from, you know, I was at the very end mile 92, 93. I was probably doing 13 minute miles. I dropped my pace down at the 105th mile, my last mile, down to seven, a seven minute and 30 second mile, which was my fastest mile of the day. Jesus Christ. And, and I was, and I, like, even myself, like, cause I was strong, I was hurting, everything hurt. But like that last mile, like I, I, my mind just said, fucking go. 
and my body went. And now, like, I want, like, now it's the chase to find that again. Yeah. Like, how do I find that again? That, that ability to, for your mind to just say, fuck everything that's going on. We got to go. What? And so that's been interesting for me, too. What were you dealing with in life that you needed to get out through that hundred, through that fucking seven thirty pace, man? I I don't I don't know. Like I think it was just a to prove to myself um, that, and 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 then like I don't know. Like I I was just like I, it was the challenge. I think of it when you when you're you're finishing the hundred fourth mile and you're coming across the start finish line and the race director says, "Hey, you got eight minutes," and all like. For most of the day, you've been running nine-minute, ten-minute miles, and now you're expected to run one last mile in eight minutes or less at 105. And it was like, why not? Let's fucking try it. <laughs> and so I turned and just went, and uh, and and you know everything hurt at the end. Let me tell you, like I, I was ready to collapse and die when I crossed the finish line after that. But, uh, but it taught me something about myself and it taught me something about really about my mindset and that I was willing to really push through anything. Yeah, dude, when you talk about I heard like hell at the end, were your feet the worst part of your body at the end of that? It's all, yeah, the feet are always the kind of the, the, the bad, you know, they're rough. No, like I will not be selling feet picks ever in dude, my life. That's a whole fucking thing, man. I mean, you get some yeah. gnarly toenails coming off. There's yeah, bunion picks. That's a real did, thing. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's, it's funny. Cause I, I do for a company here locally that does, uh, they're called tactical distributors. They do like, uh, they sell clothes and stuff like that. And so I got into doing fit modeling for them on the side. And so the, <laughs> the, 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 the woman, the woman does a lot of the stuff with me. She always checks my feet and she's like, Oh damn it. We can't do anything with you. With no shoes on because you're, you don't have like four toenails. And I'm like, yeah, sorry. So I finally, I, I took a couple, like a month break after this last one that I did. And uh, she needed me for something. So I went and did, did it. And she was like, oh my God, you have all your toenails for the first time. And I've known you. <laughs> Is it easy to take a break from that? So like me, just metric wise, it fucks with me when I see my mileage on a per monthly basis go down. So I'm like, a, I'm happy if I get four miles in per day. I feel good yeah. if I go for a four mile jog around eight to eight thirty pace, listen to a podcast, get some sun in the summer. I'm not yeah. busting my ass. I'm just enjoying life. But if my month's mileage goes down or if it's August 15th and I'm not at like 35 or 40 miles, I get twitchy and I'm like, all right, this Saturday, maybe I'll get like eight miles in. Well, I can't imagine you dude with fucking hundreds, like just being like, oh, I'm going to take off like a month or two. Well, yeah, I mean, it got like I I pushed myself to a level too far. I think this past uh, you know uh, spring, I started off. I did a, a hundred miler in Texas, the Rocky Raccoon hundred miler. I did that, um, and then I the very next month I turned around in March, and I ran thirty six hours, did one hundred one miles, wearing a twenty pound tactical. So you talk about wearing extra weight. I wore a twenty tactical like nine eleven or five eleven tactical vest. And ran 101 miles in 36 hours uh, to raise money for charity, and it was it was a great time. I hallucinated for the first time in my ultra running career. No way! Um, What'd yeah. you see? So you so the the 
there's a lot of stories about multi-day events and hallucinations and stuff yeah. so about the 32nd hour of this 36 hour race and it was a three mile loop trail again you do a lot of these races are kind of loops and stuff like that and uh i just started seeing shit in the trees and then i looked at the ground and there was like moss on the ground and the moss started turning into like cartoon characters like the simpsons the adams family i can distinctly remember at one point I swore to God, there was a turkey waving to me on the side of the trail. And I was like, look, I need to stop for a second. And so I stopped after the next loop and I, uh, and, you know, I had my, my pit there uh, for when I stopped after each loop and grab, you know, more water or whatever I got to grab. And I, I was like, look, I'm going to set my watch or my phone and I'm going to do a 15 minute nap. That 15 minute nap felt like 10 hours. I got, I went through a whole rim cycle. I dreamt I had, I woke up, I felt like amazing. And I jumped back on the trail, finished, you know, finished it out and, and moved on. But like, that was another like, wow, like my body just needed 15 minutes to really fully recover from whatever Clear it was. It out. Out. Yeah. Let all, let all the fucking DMT or whatever was in your body out. Yeah. That was wild. But yeah. And then I did another hundred miler, the, 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 the 24 hour hundred miler the next month. But I did the 105 miles in. And in the next month, I tried a ultra, the backyard ultra, where like basically it's a four-mile loop. And you, you run a four-mile loop every hour on the hour for as long as somebody goes. So <laughs> Last man standing but, type shit. Yeah, so I got to like the 45th mile or something like that. And then my whole body started cramping up. And next thing I know, I'm getting rushed to the emergency room because I got rhabdo. What's and rhabdo? That's so when, like, basically, um, do you, you, it's overuse where your kidneys start um, failing. Uh, my kidneys start failing, obviously. It's the lack of, you know, my scientific doctor knowledge here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I took a week's break and then came back the next month and tried another 100 miler. And, uh, and I got to mile 80 of that race before my body, again, just would not cooperate anymore. And that's when I knew, like, I was like, okay, I need to take a break. So it, like my body forced me into gotcha. that, you know, the break. And now I'm starting to build back up a little bit. Um, starting to log the miles back up. Cause in November I'm going to attempt to do 48 hours consecutive on a treadmill in the gym, uh, to raise money for, uh, men's mental health. And it's, it's, it's November. So it's Movember and it's veterans day. I'm going to try to raise money for uh, a veterans organization and a men's mental health organization. Dude, 48 hours, two straight days on a treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. There's, there's a I think The record's 271 miles. I'm not shooting for that, but I would like to try to get <laughs> somewhere around that 200 miles. That'd be nice. But yeah, but um, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I felt like after I did the 36 hour, and I did the hundred miles uh, wearing the vest. Uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, well, what else can I do to mm. push off? Like, it, it's been a growing, like, you know, it's been a growing curve for me with ultra running. I didn't start really running longer distances until COVID happened, and there was nothing else left to yeah, do. Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I I'm so surprised more just more people within my circle i don't know about your like daily life when you go to the grocery store and not to body shame or anything like that but the covid 20 where people like left covid and gained weight 
I was like, what were you fucking doing with your time, man? How did you not want to just get out and run like that? I, I, dude, I ran a fucking marathon just for the fuck of it because I was like bored. I was like, well, dude, I'm just going to go. Let me just see if I can get a marathon today. But that, that's hilarious that you said that. That's exactly how I got into ultra running. Right. So th- there was Memorial Day weekend of that year. I was like, let's, uh, I did it. I, I, I challenged myself. I, so Saturday that weekend, I planned to do a one mile fastest time, so like as fast as I can go. The next day I was going to do on Sunday, I was going to like, I was going to try a 50K for the first time. Because oh, I'd run marathons before. And then on Monday, I was going to do Murph, um, the Memorial Day Murph. So uh, Saturday, I ran a mile, and I ran my fastest time I'd ever run one, four, four minutes, 58 seconds. So, you broke five minutes on a mile, dude? Yeah, you see Jesus in the last 200 meters. <laughs> and then, and then um, Wait, can, can I pause you? Do you, like, have a heart monitor? What was your, like, beats per minute? For, so for, the, for that mile, because you're, like... You probably, I probably maxed it like 170, but uh, your average isn't going to be that high because it doesn't, you don't have enough time in that five to minutes. To just shoot really, it but, up. Yeah. Gotcha. And then, um, and then the next day I was like, okay, 50K. So I <laughs> ran 50K in like four hours and 30 minutes. And then I, I knew of ultra running. I had some friends that did ultra running. I had one specifically from Virginia Beach that was an ultra runner and he's a very good one. Um, and he DM'd me. He was like, "Hey, dude, that's not nothing to sneeze at. That's a pretty good time for a 50k." And I was like, "All right, well, let's see what we can do." And then finally, at the end of that year, things started opening back up, and um, and there was a 13 hour race. And the reason it's 13 hours because it was Halloween night. Clocks rolled four or back an hour, so, uh... you so it ends up being 13 hours total. And so. Um, I ended up doing, I finished second in that race. I almost got 70 miles in the 13 hours. And like, again, people were like, "Mm, you might be pretty good at this. uh, (laughs) You're really good at suffering. (laughs) Yeah. And so then it became, well, what's next? And so I signed up for the hundred, the 24 hour race that I did recently got the 105 miles. I signed up for that, that next year and got a hundred miles in less than 24 hours. And, um, and that's when I kind of knew like, this is, this is going to be my thing. This is something that's different. Um, I'm pretty good at it. I'm finishing, you know, I'm on podium, you know, finishing some of these races. Um, and, and, and and, like, it really pushes me and I really love the the train for it. And I knew I wasn't going to be ever like the elite of the elite because I wasn't willing to, you know, really changed the way I wanted to train. And that was kind of do the CrossFit style, you know, do the bodybuilding curls for the girls type stuff and, and, and have some level of mass on me. Cause I, I, I enjoy like, I like the way I look and I'm confident in the way I look and I don't want to look and I don't want to be real thin. Um, so, you know, I knew I wasn't ever going to be like crazy, crazy at it. Um, but I kind of wanted to maintain to see what I could do. And that grew into kind of a brand like oh this guy's the guy that you know still somehow maintains being 190 while running 100 miles in 24 hours yeah so that that's kind of way kind of grew and then here we are and here we are chatting i do like what's your calorie intake a day versus burn do you eat like eight meals a day do you 
super load on something? Are you one of the, like when I'm hungry, I eat guys? Cause it's been one of the weird things about the podcast dealing with, I had an ultra cyclist on from fucking South Africa. I don't know if you yeah. saw him, Sean. Oh, yeah. yeah, dude. Like, and he's fucking nuts. He's like, yeah, straight keto. I eat meat basically whenever. And that's it. Fuck carbs kind of a thing. And you're like, legitimately. And he's like, yeah, man, he's explained to me this thing. And he's, I mean, he's, his thing was like, if I got into a, if he stepped on me in a bar, would I want to fight him? And he's like, I don't look like a dude that you would want to fight. I feel like people would be kind of fearful of fighting me. He's yeah. like, I'm not that thin. You're definitely a motherfucker that I'm like apologizing yeah. to and buying a drink, right? Like, dude, you step on me. It's my fault immediately. And I'm like, bro, I got you and your next two rounds. So like, how do you maintain the girth what's your calorie intake no, i mean uh so i normally average like if i like if i'm really in the throes of training for uh, like an event and i'm in the middle of a, a cycle and i'm starting to like you know really amp up the mileage uh normally i'm probably doing anywhere between 10 and 15 miles a day normally like it's it's basically close to 100 mile weeks 10 to 15 uh, miles a day yeah, yeah, and then and then the long runs are normally on Sundays for me, and long runs normally average anywhere between twenty miles to thirty miles um, for a long run, depending on again where you're at in the training cycle. Yeah. So you know, uh, a typical calorie burn for me during a you know ten to fifteen mile run is probably I don't know sixteen seventeen hundred calories something like that. So I got to take that in on top of what I'm already burning, which is you know daily just walking around and being active is probably another. 15, 1600 calories. Yeah. So you know, that's, you know, 3,000, 4,000 calories that I got to put in if I either want to grow or if I want to just maintain. Um, so I try to like be cognizant of that a lot. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like a lot of it is just getting on a scale and being like, well, still the same weight or, Hey, I lost way too much weight. Most of that's water weight yeah. that I need to put back in. And so just, you know, mirror and, you know, the scale are my biggest two. Stop, dude. Don't make, don't oversimplify. You're going to fucking ruin everyone's like carnivore diet, MD, Dr. Fucking lizard. Like I, all of these dudes, they all have like niches. No, I mean, I, I'm sorry to say it, man, but I like, I eat what I want. Like I'm like, if I'm, if I'm if me and my daughter want to get ice cream Sunday after dinner, I'm going to eat my ice cream Sunday. Um, like I'm, I, I, I do try to keep it like, I, like I said, I do try to keep it clean. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, mac and cheese in it and doing all the, the, you know, microwavable meals and stuff like that anymore. Yeah. Uh, my drinking's definitely, you know, gone down. So I like, you know, that that's good. And then for me, like, um, a lot of ultra endurance athletes and guys and gals, they'll do, uh, you've heard of carb loading. A lot of like what I do is fat loading so i take in a lot of good fats like avocado like whatever you hear about all the time is being good fats because your body's going to burn the carbs first and then it's going to immediately turn to the fat and start burning that especially in those longer distances because you're going to you know it'll burn up the carbs in the first you know quarter of the race and then it's going to be relying on fats and salts and all, all that kind of stuff to get you through the rest of the 75 miles or whatever you're looking at so good fats wise, like, what do you talk? Do you have a formula or you're just like, Hey, I'm going to buy an avocado, have some toast. And that's, you just know yourself well enough to like proportion it. 
Yeah. No, I mean, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not, if, if I want to eat like four avocado toast, that's what I'm feeling. That's what my body, that's what my body's craving. So I'm going to feed my body that. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, I hate to make it seem really simple, but I feel like at the end of the day, like a lot of people who really simplify it, it's, it's really just calories in, calories out Yeah. for me. As long as you can keep it, Again, like my, my number one rule is if it doesn't spoil in like a week, it's probably not meant to be a regular staple in your diet. Yeah. Um, so like I try to keep it really healthy with, you know, you know, I eat chicken, obviously. I don't want to be the chicken and broccoli bodybuilding guy that everybody talks about. So I do eat other things, but like, you know, those kind of you know, clean meats and uh, vegetables and then, you know, throwing you know, a good carb in there and good fat and I got myself a meal. Yeah. And are you lifting weights as you run as well to like yeah. maintain the bulk? What, so yeah. what's that? So like you fucking run 10 to 15 miles, which I'm assuming takes hour and a half ish of um, your day. Yeah. It depends on like what, what workout I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, different running workouts. Obviously it's, it's, it's much like a gym workout. Like you go out with a specific goal in mind, a lot, 80% of my training is going to be, easy miles you want to keep your heart rate low and, and and just you're building your base and you're gonna have a long workout normally that's your 20 to 30 mile run for me and then you're gonna have speed work and like the workouts you're gonna be trying to running workouts where you're gonna be trying to like get that leg turnover and run those like sub you know five minute type miles and stuff like that Jesus during speed workouts sub five minute miles stop <laughs> your slander you just like casually drop sub five minute miles when you're working do you know how hard it is for a normal person to run a sub five mile, man? I no, I trust me. It took me a long time to get there. Like I said, Dude. my first trip uh, was like fifteen minutes. So I mean, it took a while to get there. But like, I think it was just, um, I think, I think like anything, it was just a uh, turning it into like turning what I was doing into a lifestyle and being yeah. committed to it, and then like really just that commitment part's so hard for people. I mean. That's why the New Year's Eve folks, you know, after a month, like they're gone. It's just yeah, they could, and 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 being able to do it, and then uh, so I mean that that's been the big piece for me is just staying committed to a training plan and making sure I'm following it. And then if if I need to take it, like my body will tell me. Like a lot of people, again, will have high tech stuff that tells them you should take a break today. Cause, whoop! Get that whoop! Yeah, I had one. And I said, I threw it out. I got done. I got rid of it. Cause I was like, look, this is, this is too much. Yeah. Like, my body will tell me, nope. Like, and I can, I can tell when a training run's been bad. Like, and I'm like, all right, my body needs a break now. Like I need to take a day off, do something else. Even lifting, like I'll go to the gym. I still like to, you know, lift for like lift, uh, lift heavy, go long is my thing. Like I like to still go in. I still like to do the, like, Let's get under 225 on the bench and see how many times I can rep 225 like it's NFL combine. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I mean, like, so that's a that's that's I think the piece that's a little bit different about me and a couple other guys that do ultras is we we still like to lift and and still like because Nick Bear is another one that immediately comes to mind if you've ever heard of him. Mm-hmm. He uh, he runs BPN supplements, and I've run one. I ran a, uh, the Texas race with him. And he's another very large guy, um, ex-army ranger guy, um, and 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 he's got a huge, much more large, much larger following than I got on YouTube and everything else. But uh, there's a few of us out there that are, you know, 
we like we like our uh we like our packs and we like our our miles yeah no doubt well dude like and going back to goggins like i think before was it the story before his first hundred miler he goes in there with the dude that was his navy yeah and it was just fucking like leg raises like well if you're gonna train you fucking train goggins you know and um, but so just cause I work in like metrics. So if you go for a, let's take a 10 to 15 mile day yeah. and then you go hit the gym. Yep. What's a normal gym workout for your abnormal ass? Uh, yeah. So I like, I'll normally like, I go to a Globo gym most times. Um, and like really it's just, uh, it's mostly circuit type stuff and then like where i'm where i don't do the globo type stuff and i get the stairs is when i do a lot of like you know leg day i'll do a lot of like walking lunges uh with you know sandbags and box step ups and wall balls i do the the crossfit type stuff and functional fitness stuff type stuff at the globo gym and do you do that after or before the run normally after the run really I i like to save my legs for the run because that's the most important piece of the, the plan, the puzzle for me, huh. is to have a training run in. Where some people, if, it might be reversed if, the, if, if your plan is that you want to do something more strength-based and then run after. Uh, and that's what I think a lot of bodybuilders do is like the cardio comes after your lift because you don't want to risk the gains in lifting. But for me, it's kind of reversed. I want to get the miles in to make sure I get good quality miles in. Um because there are junk miles, there are things, there, there's a thing called junk miles out there where you're just running to run and you're not gaining anything from that workout. So do that and then go in the gym and then uh, go through. Well, I, there, there's there's not a lot of heavy weeks for me, per se, uh, where I'm in there doing one rep maxes of everything while, while I'm in a training cycle for uh, an ultra run. And, you know, normally ultra train ups for me last about 16 weeks. Um, so I'm not going in there on week 13 and trying to max everything. Cause I'm really at that point, I'm on the, the downward curve to, to the event. And so a lot of that is just a lot of re- high rep type stuff and, uh, try to keep, uh, everything injury free. Yeah. Right. How do you determine the number of reps to stop at when you're going high reps? Cause that's something just whatever me as a 41 year old, middle school teacher that's trying to stay lean. Yeah. I, I like, I, I try to balance the weight I'm comfortable at increasing reps, but not wanting to be a total bitch. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it, it's a weird balance, but at the same time, I'm like, I feel like I want to maximize reps. Cause I think that's lean true strength versus this girth that in 10 years is going to fuck me over somehow. And like, I'm going to get scoliosis. Yeah, no, for me, like, I, I don't know, like, I just, like, it's finding a weight that I'm comfortable with that'll bring me to failure after, you know, after each set, like, normally, like, a, like if I'm, if I get under a bench, for instance, or under squat, I normally want to do something that I can do between, somewhere between 10 and 15 reps with, and that, that, that 14 to 15 rep feel pretty, pretty You're tough. feeling it? You're getting, like, a little yeah. twitchy? Yeah, with yeah, it? and then normally do about four sets, like, I'll do four sets of 10 to 15, you know, like for whatever exercises I'm doing. And then I supplement, um, you know, you got the, the, the complex, the more complex lifts, like the deadlifts and the, 
the uh, squats and the benches and stuff like that. And then you just have the supplemental type lifts, like, you know, uh, leg extensions, like curls, stuff like that, that I, I'll, uh, I'll do kind of a, a pause lifts and stuff like that. I'll play with those a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, I'm not like normally like this month that I've been off for running. That's when I've gone to more like, all right, we're going to jack up. We're going to do kind of a like bench or squat. I'm going to do tree base where I'm uh, like build to kind of, uh, four sets of like a three rep max and then build back down um, on, on those things. So I do, I play with the lift workouts a lot just to see what works for me. And then a lot of times, like it, 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 it makes the trans transition over to my running. And I can tell, like, especially on a lot of like mountain races and races that have a lot of gain to them. Yeah, uh, that. It, it's, it, it makes a difference. Dude, where did all this knowledge come from? Did you study, read, do you have mentors that helped you get here? You sound so knowledgeable, man. A lot of it, yeah, a lot of it's just been experience over time and playing with what works best for me. Because I feel like, you know, there's so many people on YouTube and Instagram and everything that like, this is going to be the workout that changes your life. Well, it changes your life. It's, right. you, it's going to specifically change their life. Just like, you know, guys that reach out to me, like, what's your meal plan look like? Well, I can tell you, but your body may react to it completely different than mine. And then... Are you out there running 15, 20, 30 miles in a yeah, day? Like, just eating not. up all those fucking calories. It, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, it's 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 a little bit – it's going to be different for everybody. And so, my again, my, my simple philosophy is you have to, like, just play and tinker with your lifestyle versus the diet so you can find what works right for your body and something your body's going to react to. But your weightlifting and, like, training regimen – that didn't come from the military. It didn't come from some like personal trainer. It didn't come from like, Hey, I read this book. It just came from you being like in the gym, seeing a motherfucker do something. And you've been like, that might work. Let me see. Yeah. yeah I mean like I, Stop. the running, Stop. The, the, the running, the running, like that came from like, uh, that definitely came from like training plans. Right. But let's be honest. Like, like there's, I bet you when you train for a marathon, Everybody can go to the running runnersworld.com yeah. and find a training plan that, that, that it's they a quick follow. Google, man. Like I, that's what fucked me up. I didn't allocate yeah. enough miles in weeks, but it seems like an algorithm basically. Yeah. There's, there's definitely an algorithm to it all with ultras with hundred mile races. Nobody's figured out that algorithm yet. Hmm. Like nobody says you have to log this. There's guys out there that can run 12 hour, hundred miles that run 200 miles a week. And then there's ones that run 70 miles a week. So really? it's, there's no rhyme or reason behind it right now. And I think that's, that's where ultra running is a little bit different. But, uh, but then with the weights specifically, I get playing, playing football in college and being around at like athletes, all the, you know, you're being in Iraq and stuff. You just kind of see things and you've experienced things and like, okay, this lift, you know, the way this, you know, set uh, structures, set up for me it doesn't really work for me i want to move more in this direction so let's do it this way and see what happens and over time and experimenting like i found just what worked for me as an individual versus you know like i gotta do 10 sets of five of this every yeah. day for 45 days and i have bigger abs or whatever yeah because <laughs> then you get to like the keto plan of it's just bacon avocados and raw ribeye type shit yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Dude, I fucking, I love that. And you've re-inspired me because the people, the ultra athletes that I've been speaking to recently have really fucked with me about the algorithm. And I, like my heart kept telling me it's so individualized. Like really, I feel the key to fitness and I'm nowhere near your level of fitness, but I'm decently fit. My... Garmin tells me I'm top 10% for my <laughs> age in vascular fitness, according to my VO2 level. Yeah. But it's just like knowing your body, taking yeah. the time to know, wow, I need to stretch a little longer. Ah, yeah. I ate this and you know what? I felt like shit, so I'm not going to eat this again. Wow, I had that blank cocktail. Nope. It felt heavy in my gut. Like little subtle things that if you just actually spend time with yourself thinking about and feeling, it's like, yeah, man, that that makes sense. And then I'll be healthy. Like it's, it's, it's such a simple life hack, but I really feel like my soul is telling me that is what kind of should be. Yeah, so, so my point to all those people that think they got you know, to follow a certain diet, or I point to one of the goats of ultra running, Courtney DeWalter. She's been quoted on Joe Rogan and everybody else saying, she doesn't follow a diet. She eats quesadillas, tacos, M&Ms, all this stuff all the time. And she has no rhyme or reason behind her training regimen. She goes out. She runs what she feels like she should run in a day. There's no, you know, there's no heart rate monitor. There's nothing telling her anything. And she's one of the best in the world at it. So uh, it's, 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 she's a true example of the best in the world at doing something. And she's just listening to her own body and following just what works for her. Yeah, the mental fortitude. Yeah. Um. Fuck, man. Jason, I didn't even get to ask you about, do you want to get into your Instagram and social media at all or should we call it a day? I'm good with time. Yeah. I don't want to like be an asshole and take up all of your time though. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I think this, the Instagram and the social media stuff is all secondary to what we've talked about. I think, you know, that's all fun and games, and I like to post what I like to post. It's so fucking fun. stupid, man. It's so fucking... That's why I texted you, and I was like, dude, where are you at on Facebook? You're like, I'm not even on there. And then I saw... Because I got your reel about the Optimus Prime reel yeah, yeah. on Facebook. But makes yeah. sense. Instagram, Facebook, whatever they're owned. Yeah. But then when you sent me your Instagram, I was like, this dude's fucking stupid. Like... It was just dumb ass reel after reel. And it was entertaining as hell, man. Like, I don't know why I'm in my life and I can connect with like literally everything, but I'm at my life where I can connect with literally everything. I mean, I think that's, that's, uh, you know, I I, I got to a point where I like, I think I was telling you before the show, like I got to, I got to a point where I got pretty stagnant with my following growth, like growth. And, um, and it was like, I was, you know, I, I was just posting stuff. Like the, all the ultra stuff, I was posting like, oh, I finished second at this race and ran 100 miles. Oh, 20 likes, that's great. Um, good <laughs> on you, Jason. And then the minute I post a dumbass reel about Optimus Prime, it gets 11 million views and I gain like 40,000 followers. Jesus. And I'm like, oh, all right. But the good thing is, and you know, I, I, I jokingly call it stupid and like all this kind of stuff. The good thing that's come out of this whole thing is it's it's broadened the platform to be able to speak out about mental health and things I care about and, and get, you know, reach out to people that may have never heard of me before and maybe never heard of, you know, you know, veteran like veteran issues. You know, we may touch somebody that's never known a veteran in their life 
and um, now they know one. So, I mean, it's it's things like that that I think the, 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 it could be the goodness in social media. It can, it can reach out to people that would never have met before and things like that. And there's a lot of goodness in it with hand in hand with the fun comments and DMs and all that yeah. stuff you get. Yeah, and you really, that's interesting, man. So me messaging you, cause uh, I don't know, I don't wanna like dox you or any shit like that, but it's like, you can text, right? Like, so I hit the reel and I was like, this motherfucker's hilarious. Let me see if we'll come on the pod. And yeah. email address there, text number there. Yeah. Like, is it overwhelming? Do you have an assistant? Is it easy for you to manage and get back with people? Is yeah, it- no, I mean, so I, I, again, like I, I uh, value my time and I allocate it accordingly. Like I'm, I'm not gonna, like, I'm sorry. Like it just got to be too, like it definitely got to be too much after like this jump. Like, it, like I can't respond back to every comment. I definitely can't respond back to every direct message and stuff. I, you know, I try to catch where I can and peruse through and respond to people as I can. But if you're expecting me to respond, like, I'm sorry, like it's almost impossible for one person to do, especially if you want that person to be the like the actual person. I get the people out there that have assistants that respond back to messages and, and talk to people and good on them. But like, this is my Instagram page. It's, this is me putting myself out there. I don't, want anybody else being me like i i want to be able to respond so i hope people at least appreciate there's some genuineness in there and that i i want to come from me and myself and not have somebody else or a, a, an automatic message respond yeah, to you those are awesome <laughs> yeah so, uh, so i mean that's the thing and so um you know i i'm I'll scroll through when I can. And normally it's between sets at the gym and I'm like, hey, what are people saying? But, uh, but, uh, but other than that, like, you know, I, it's, I have a day job, you know, I work a nine to five. I have my daughter. I have a lot of things going on in life and I'm yeah. sorry. I can't respond back to people, but I'm glad everybody appreciates the content. I'm glad a lot of people have gotten smiles out of it. And a lot of people gone back down into the feed and seen, where I talk about mental health and I talk about some of the things that, that have affected me and impacted me in my life and, you know, appreciate the messages and let's just hope to keep uh, the message rolling and hope to help some people along the way. Dude, the positivity and we can <clears throat> not, not to be negative with an ending, but I really am amazed at, and I've not gotten to the point where people want to shit on me. I've had a couple fucking trolls and I'm just like, Hey, can somebody message like I'll screenshot it and be like somebody message blank because they seem to be having a bad day. And like, that's how I dox them. Cause it's like, why would you want to spend your energy being a jackass online yeah. and like shitting on somebody? Like why I, I don't, I've never understood that mentality. Um, I'm surprised and I'm curious about what kind of negative messaging can you box it in any sort of way then is there a typical negative message that you get like oh bro you're totally keto or you're roided up is it that kind of oh shit? Yeah, yeah i've definitely got the steroids thing before i've got a funny thing is i you know, that surgery i was talking about earlier where i had the, the emergency splenectomy where i had my spleen removed i got a scar i got about a six inch scar down the middle of my stomach i've had several people claim that those are ab implants <laughs> and got it. So that, that's been a funny one uh, my spleen got removed sorry about you um but uh but yeah it's it's like i get a lot of the steroid stuff like i you know 
you do get a lot of that. Um, it's a lot of guys that are keyboard warriors. A lot of cases, obviously, like I think there's especially like when my demographic completely flipped, or I eventually I originally had when before all the real stuff started, I had you know about sixty percent men, forty percent women following me. Now it's like seventy percent women, thirty percent men. So audience right. So uh, audience completely changed, and then you know I, I think you know you you. I put out things that I find fun and things that make me and my friends laugh. And I try to tie some thing, some topic around it that, you know, people can talk about. And <laughs> a lot of people like, you know, will hold me to the fire about something. I'm like, it was just a joke. Like, like, it's just funny. It's just made it be funny. Like when I'm you not talk- trying to box everybody into something. When you talk about like, I'm trying to tie it into a content and I, I don't want to, I don't want to box you in, but all I'm remembering is you underneath a white blanket and you popping oh, out and being like 20 seconds. That ain't good enough. <laughs> and I know where my mind went and I'm wondering. <laughs> like, oh, trust me. Trust me. That one was a fun one. Like I, I was joking with a couple of friends of mine in a group chat. I was like, I should post like this, this audio. And I did. And, uh, and like a lot of it, you get a lot of laughs out of it, which is fun and nice and stuff. But then some people will be like, oh my God, what are you going to tell your daughter one day? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I had sex one time in my life before I got old <laughs> and I made fun of it. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, um, like dude, that see, that's where I get upset where not, I, I, I shouldn't say upset, but like. What the fuck, man? Like, I can't be a dad and, uh, to be stereotypical, a dude at the same point. And then, like, my daughter's not going to reach an age where, like, it's appropriate to have those sorts of conversations with her. And you want to fucking shame me and make me feel like I'm less of a dad because I try to make and create some content? Like, what about me being someone who is building a brand? And making something. Isn't that a better example for my daughter that I figured out a way to create from scratch versus yeah. now I have to have some sort of like moralistic compass? Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I, like, I definitely like try to consider everything. Um, like the last reel I made was about the, uh, about just uh, talking about uh, prior relationships and talking about about your ex. And immediately people were like, well, what if your ex abused you and stuff like that? And it's like, all right, yes, that yeah. is a completely different situation. Facts. I, I, I can't have a, a real, sorry, that's 25 minutes. Nobody will watch it. I, but, I, but I also want to put out something that I find is something that I'm finding out in the dating world right now is people talk bad about their exes. And I'm not talking about those extreme type situations. I'm just saying like they're calling their ex a jerk and he was a jerk face and you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard to make everybody happy. And yeah, no I think the thing that people need to understand. Yeah. Stereotype for a reason. Wasn't that a Chris Rock line? Like it's a stereotype for a reason. Like it's okay to go general right down the middle. Um, dude, where do you get the audio from? Do you have some sort of website or you just no, watch a no, shit ton no. of fucking movies? So no, like, it's funny. Like I, uh, like I'll just find myself like scrolling through the reels that are out there, uh, currently. And, you know, I, like, I find something that's like, oh, this is a, this is a fun one. And then like, you see how they apply it, um, the, the creator of whatever they, the audio that they use. And then like, for me, I started thinking about, well, 
like I think about it like this way. And like, so I just apply a different uh, perspective to the audio than the, probably the originator did. And then there's some stuff that I'll be, you know, watching a movie and be like, oh man, that's like the Nacho Libre one was Dude, like- the Nacho Libre one is good. Perfect. I wake up alone and I make soup. I have my whole bed. <laughs> yeah. That one I was watching on, and like on the couch eating popcorn and like, that's perfect. <laughs> Dude, your yeah. fucking face when it was like, I wake up alone. I forget what it was, but like you had the wink and everything, like the sinking of that shit is so fucking good. No, but it's, it's been fun and it's led to a lot of different opportunities, like the podcast stuff, like getting a chance to talk about uh, things that are, again, important to me, like getting, you know, spreading that message to the audience versus, you know, just watching real all the time. They can actually hear me here talking to you about life um, yeah. now. So that's, that's really powerful for me. And then, you know, I've, it's funny because I've had messages from casting directors talking about, do you want to be on the, this new tropical island dating show? I was about to say, like, dude, I almost led with that shit. Like, and your next Bachelor, 38, Jason Wood. Like, the funny, funny thing, like, last year, I think, I got reached out to by them for, I think it was Claire, Claire Crawley season. Uh, it was right when COVID happened and they were trying to recast. And the way the, the casting director called me was like, hey, uh, so when we originally cast, the age range for the men skewed too young. Claire's like 39. We were like, the age range was like all in their early 20s, mid 20s. We got an opportunity to recast for COVID. We're looking for older men. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so call me old. Got it. But uh but yeah, so I've, I've had a couple opportunities that have come across that, that are fun to look at and talk about, but I don't know, like dating shows and being on like Love Island or stuff like that. There's, there's probably isn't my damn. Dude, there's no fucking way. Like that would be one of those things where you'd be like, for me personally, I guess no shame, but it would be hard for me to be like, yeah, that's something I want my daughter to see. Reels, yeah, yeah. I get like, I really want her watching me make out with some lady underneath a fucking waterfall and having 12 margaritas in me and trying to, like, be pissy at another dude for looking at the girl that I thought was my alliance. You yeah. know, like... I just find myself being, like, I'd be the father figure. Like, like you really shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't talk to that guy. Like, he's a yeah. dick. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you're in the friend zone the whole fucking time. Yeah. I'm just the father figure on the show and somehow I made it to the end. Like, <laughs> like nobody really wants to be with me. They just want my advice. <laughs> no doubt. There's Jason. He's such a protector. Will you take this rose? <laughs> Around. Oh man. Dude. Yeah. Jason, man, thank you. I'm so sorry. I took up so much of your time, man, but I really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, just for so long. So fucking interesting. So fucking inspirational. And, um, Thanks for being willing to just, I don't know, giggle and um, share things you've been through, man. It's uh, it's something I know I'm trying to get better at in my life, not only challenging myself to see what I can get at, but humbling myself to be like, you're not whatever, you're not like, and I'm not fucking kick ass in a bunch of shit, but like, dude, you're not always a rock. It's okay yeah. if you're a, what would the opposite of a rock, sand? your sand. I, I don't know what's weaker, but whatever is the fucking anti-weakness thing where it's like, it's okay to fucking cry. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay yeah. to like feel bad type shit. Um, I think that's super important. And the more that message gets out, the more awesome I think the world will be, man. So thank you for taking a part of that, man. Giving up your time. 
Hey, man, I really appreciate it, Sean. I really, really do. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm, I'm glad I got a chance to really speak for this long because a lot of people try to cut, uh, cut you off after like an hour or so and you don't really get a chance. You can always look back and say, man, I wish I would have talked about this or that, but I feel like this was a really just good, thorough, like good everything out there kind of conversation. Yeah, no, nah, dude, yeah, that's kind of the vibe I go for. So thank you for um, appreciating that because I think that's important. I don't like the sound clip vibe. I like the context, yeah. like just understand where people are coming from vibe. Yep. Sounds good, man. All right, man. Enjoy whatever run and crazy shit you're going to do tomorrow. I'm going to um sleep in. <laughs> Later. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.